Let's go down to ringside. The following podcast is scheduled for one episode and is our vantage point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Outside, we couldn't see it from our vantage point. fans and welcome to our vantage point the retro wrestling podcast here for episode number 131 happy memorial day it is monday may 27th 2019 and we are here to kick off season 14 of another romp through the world of retro wrestling i'm joe Morata. that's michael quinn how you doing there michael howdy diddy Quinn, how's your Memorial Day weekend going so far, sir? Oh, is that what? Is it Memorial Day weekend? Yes, it is. It's nice to be off from work today. Wow. Incredible. Now, if you are not off of work, we do apologize, but we hope we can make your workday go a little bit better as we romp you through the world of retro wrestling. We're kicking off a new season, which means we have some new topics. We'll be reviewing something, but before we get to any of that, First of all, thank you guys for being with us again here for yet another season. If you uh, have a Twitter and you haven't followed us yet, you can do that at OVP Podcast. You can also email us at OVPpodcast at gmail.com. That is Podcast at gmail.com. But the best place to talk to me, Quinn, and hundreds of other retro wrestling fanatics is over on Facebook, Michael. Yeah, I think uh, 600 at this point. I think we crossed yeah. that barrier, right? As of press time, uh, 600 mean, fans there to hang out with. Thank you, Al Gore. Thank uh, you, Al Gore, for, for inventing it. For inventing Facebook <laughs> or whatever it is. all possible. But anyway, you can also join the 600 other fans over at facebook.web.friends.gore. Dot hanging chat. Dot hanging chat. Man, if it wasn't for that hanging chat, what other things could he have? <laughs> Internet, too? Like, who knows? But anyway... You go over to Facebook.web and you uh, type in the search bar at the top, which yeah, Al Gore was also involved with. He invented that, too. He, I think he was just the associate producer <laughs> on that. But anyway, you type our vantage point dash, retro wrestling podcast, beep, bop, boop, tubes, gore, you know, the rest the rest of the story. And you're Kaflui. in. Yeah, Kaflui. And then once you're in, what you can do is you can talk to us and a bunch of other people about all sorts of retro wrestling topics, funny pictures, uh, interesting questions. Yeah, all of that. Anecdotes. <laughs> it's really the best of theatrics. <laughs> Athletics That's right. over there. And we try to promote a very fun, welcoming environment, meaning if you've been a fan for a long time or maybe you're younger and you're just getting into older stuff, whether you like WWF or you like every promotion, come one, come all, come on over to the OVP Facebook group. Uh, and later on in the show, we'll have some uh, information about our Patreon, but we do have a Patreon if and only if you want to help support the show, and that's at patreon.com slash OVP podcast. But Quinn, it's Memorial Day weekend, and not only that, though, it's episode number 131, which means a new season, right? It's episode one. Uh, we're going to get the story started. What arcs do we have in this season? Well, this arc, Quinn, yeah. we asked you fans uh, the last couple of weeks to give us some questions for a new segment called Should They Have? And what that means is, you know, we're, we're taking some things that happened or maybe should have happened, and we're going to see, should this have taken place? So to give you an example here, and this is not... This is not today's question. This, We're is, just, this is the hypothetical, folks. Here, here's a hypothetical. Uh, should Nick Patrick have just properly counted fast at Starcade 97? Excuse me. You know, me. et cetera. What? You know, should Hulk Hogan have job to X person? You know, that type of thing. X-Pac. Yeah, perhaps. it's maybe to X-Pac. Well, Hulk Hogan, you suck, pal. But today's question, the first one, the lucky winner here 
is Dan Lopez. Whoa, congratulations, Dan. Good job, Dan. You're the first person on this season. You are. And his question here, which Quinn and I thought was a great one, is should the WWF have given Andre the Giant a legitimate world title win? Well, first of all, it's WF. (laughs) Second of all, no. Um, Why does he need the title? Uh, That's a good question here. He's the giant. He's unbeatable. To me, he's above the title, right? Well, he's definitely taller than it, yes. (laughs) Also, the only way you would ever be able to do that, really, is at WrestleMania 3, and I don't see why you would do that. Okay, that's your short answer, right? So let's walk it back now. Andre the Giant, a big attraction, uh, mainly in the 70s and into the 80s for the WWF and elsewhere. Yes. But mainly uh, WWF, that was kind of like his home base, and Vince Sr. would rent him out, basically, to other locations. Yep. So he wasn't a full-time wrestler for WWF in the 70s. So that's the other thing about all of this, right, is the reason the Andre the Giant thing, the attraction, worked is because he would be like in areas for a short period of time. Sure. So it's like, come see the, this big giant man, yep. and, and that's it. Well, he'll see you next year or <laughs> yeah. something. Well, that's, like, that's the whole reason you want to see Andre the Giant. That's one of the things about Andre in the 70s until the early 80s, is you can turn on so many different regional promotions, and you have a good shot at seeing Andre the Giant on it like once or twice, you know? Like right. any freaking promotion. Right, yeah, it's awesome. Next week, our main event on Mid-South Television Wrestling will be... Tony Atlas, Mr. USA, and seven foot four, four hundred eighty-five pound Andre the Giant, the eighth wonder of the world, Andre the Giant, Andre the Giant, and King Kong Brody. To me, that's the whole point of him. Right? Is he was an attraction? He was larger than life. He's not supposed to be something you see every week. Correct. And you had never seen anything like him to that point. Now, let's talk about the era in the seventies. There's no way he could have won it because a he wasn't there full time, but right. b who was their main champion in the 70s besides Pedro? Bruno. Bruno, you know, yeah. into the 70s, 60s and in the 70s. Exactly. And then Pedro, and then Backlund. You can't have Andre the Giant, basically a part-time wrestler, be their champion for years at a time in the 70s, right? I mean, right? why would they do that? I mean, it's, it's not like he's Brock Lesnar or anything. <laughs> Different time, yeah. Quinn. So I don't know if the 70s would have worked for Andre as champion. Let's no. you know. Let's just be well, honest here. Again, just not. He's not in a place all the time. So that's that's essentially it. Like, you, there's really no other argument there. Yeah, and don't forget, the '70s is a time well before uh, WWF champions had established themselves as really good talkers. I mean, if you ever heard Bruno, Pedro, or Backlund, talking ability might not have been the highest priority. So, what on- about Buddy R- Rogers? He was champion for like a month in I'm like sixty three. I'm just saying that it's not. It's not. Have like you heard him talk? All of them Hi. are terrible. <laughs> Welcome to Rogers. Co- Wait. Welcome to Rogers <laughs> Corner. My guest today is uh, Jimmy Snuka. You're blaming the audio. Yeah, and I'm blaming him too yeah. for his whiskey voice. But nevertheless, right? This week, my guest is none other than the most lovable guy I believe in wrestling today. Giant of giants, Andre the Giant. Andre didn't become, like, really, really full-time, Quinn, for Vince until around, I want to say, 83 or 4. Yeah. Well, 82, he's starting to sort of become, Yeah, you know, like, I think it, once, he's just, it's just starting. It's just starting. And he would still, Vince Jr. still let him go to Japan in the 80s. Right. It seemed like in the early 80s that Andre turned from, like... Yeah, he's part-time, sort of, but he's only allowed to go to Japan. He's not allowed to go to NWA Yeah, he couldn't go anywhere else, right? Right, yeah. So, Andre the Giant in the early 80s now, he's still rather mobile. He's still able to wrestle, but he's still an attraction. Right. He's not an every single week type of wrestler, 
they did a wonderful job of hiding his like his it, decreasing mobility because it's it's like early on. It is. I agree. Yeah. Now Hulk Hogan becomes champion in '84, and we all know the story there. So, at what point do you give Andre the title in the '80s? Besides his 1988 quick little win, which was part of a storyline, when when do you realistically give it to Andre the Giant? That's the thing I struggle with. When do you do that? There's no time for it. <laughs> There's not right. And and here's the thing: is you were touching on the point of mobility before. Yeah. By the time like he was centralized and you could do it. You don't want him as your... Ch- no offense. No like, offense, but you don't. He's having trouble even, like, traveling like, yeah. it, and stuff. You never know what's going to happen to his knees because literally his body's buckling under the weight. It's not reasonable. And I know we all love Andre. Sure. And to be honest with you, I always feel that the reign he got, even as nefarious and stupid as it was... <laughs> and storyline-based, like, yes. I know people, you know, think, oh, what an insulting victory. But to me, it's like... To me, it's the nod. It's like the thank you. Like right, you know right, what I mean? It's right. like you're gonna be in the history of WF. You're gonna be on the list of champions. I agree with you, Quinn. That's nice of you. I don't see a point between 1984 and 1990, which was the rest of Andre's WWF career, mm-hmm. where he could have realistically won it. And that was the only time he was full time there. Right. Was 84 to 90. It's true. And even so, he still went to Japan. You got to remember, 86, they did the machines angle. He was already. He bra- wasn't even in that. What are you talking <laughs> Sorry, excuse yeah. me. Someone thought he was Andre. I don't know yeah. who Giant Machine was. He, he was like Kurt or something, <laughs> or he got his hair cut and he was sad. <laughs> He was breaking down by 86, and the whole thing was that 87 was like his last real hurrah. So that brings us to the only point, which I think you... Did you say this? Uh, that that would be the only time to do it would be WrestleMania 3, right? That would be the only time Fe- to do it. But feasibly. even then, remember this, that after WrestleMania 3, when he did lose and he didn't win it, but he still had to go away anyway because he was like fucking hurt. Yeah, he like, didn't come back till November. Right, He didn't exactly. wrestle until November. Everyone knew... It's not like Andre was, like, mad that he wasn't world champion. <laughs> right, right. Like, it's, everyone fucking knew what the hell was going on. And honestly, I would argue that from 88 to 90, it was more Vince wanting to take care of him and give him a high profile than Vince needing Andre's name anymore. Yeah. What was interesting, I recently uh, once again watched the HBO Andre documentary. Sure. Apparently, near the end of Andre's run, there was some kind of falling out between him and McMahon. And I don't know, Vince uh, suspects, and I, because I don't really blame Vince for not pushing him because he literally couldn't walk. <laughs> yeah, I know. But Vince suspects you push that him, you might push him like, over. He wasn't, Andre never expressed that he was like really angry with him, but he just didn't want to work with him or something like that. Right. Vince kind of like pontificated that perhaps Andre was just kind of like sad that he wasn't part of it anymore, right? Part of the wrestling in the yeah, 90, in and like 90. I guess all I'm getting at is like Andre just didn't want to do this anymore yeah i mean he was breaking down physically for years and you had hulk hogan right <laughs> you don't need Andre the giant to be the world champion no there's no reason that andre should have defeated hulk hogan at wrestlemania 3 that was hogan's moment that match was engineered to put hulk hogan over as the star of the 80s so no i agree with your initial answer quinn i do not think that uh, andre the giant should have ever won the world title outside of the way they did it i love the way they did it in 88 there yeah. were $100 bills falling out of Hebner's pockets. To me, Identical. Actually, you know, if that's the way that you're going to be the world champion. What I think, a way. Uh, what a way. It's, <laughs> I love, I, that's like still one of my favorite things ever. In it's wrestling. fantastic. It's so ludicrous that when I first heard about it, like after the fact and everything, but when I first heard about it, I thought it was like fake. 
Like, even right. in the world of fake wrestling. Like, I was like, it just sounded so insane to well, me. Well, because like, it's, like, so, like, mid-60s Batman villain, like, yeah. cartoony tactics. It's so goofy, but it works, you know? The evil rich man pays off the big guy to win, you know? And the ref and yeah. it's, like, clones it's, it's or something. So great. Yeah, there's clones. Plastic surgery. And I give the bell to Ted DiBiase, because that's what I want to do. I do anything I want with that bell. It's fantastic. It leads to Hogan's, maybe one of Hogan's best promos ever it's where he's crying. It's like the plot of Face Off or something. <laughs> Wee! But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's uh, that was Andre getting a legitimate world title win. I mean, it, it, he did pin him. Yeah, again, I don't want to hear any more complaints about this because it's he's the he was the champion. What, he was, what, what, what else is there really to say? I mean, 30 seconds, but he was still the champion. Now, he wasn't a machine, and he was the champion. <laughs> he was never a machine. Yeah. Now, we do have time for another question, Quinn, and it's in the same vein oh, here. Oh, yeah. So, uh... Let's welcome Tom Foley now to the uh, Should They Have panel. Tom Foley, Quinn. Tom Foley. He wants to know, should they have given Jake Roberts a heavyweight title run? No. (laughs) I love your just blunt answers to start here. It's not... Some people are just over, right? Right. They don't need the belt. Jimmy Snuka. Yeah. Roddy Piper. Exactly. Ted DiBiase. Correct. Okay. Mr. Perfect. Right. People like that, they don't need a title. And I think Jake would tell you the same thing. Probably. And it's not just them trying to, like, save face. It's just they were making a lot of money. They don't give a shit. Like, they, well, here's honestly. The thing. Why did people in the mid-80s and into the 90s make so much money? Because Hogan was the champion. Correct. Right. So, yeah. Again, that's <laughs> another part of it, too, is that these guys were not idiots. They realized, oh, we'll just have Hogan be the champion and we'll just make millions of dollars, like, yeah. around him. I mean, especially if you were the one working with Hogan. If you right. were lucky enough to be that person. If you could draw money with Hogan, you'd work with Hogan. To be fair, I know Jake says that... um Regarding his one-time chance of possibly fighting Hogan, which is some kind of holy grail. Yeah, in late 86, I believe it was, right? Or early 87. That um, Jake, when this was... He's apparently the only person that's mentioned that this happened. That nobody, he, nobody really truly knows if the footage exists. That he DDT'd Hogan on the uh, snake pit, right? And right. they had a, a little mini feud brewing there that was quickly yes. canceled when Jake got some face reactions. Now, Jake, when he mentions it, he jokingly um, says something to the effect of, well, that's the one time I was really angry with the fans because they cheered for me and then they cost me a bunch of money because yeah. I couldn't feud with Hogan. Yeah, you fans cost me a lot of friggin' money. Well, that's the thing. He would have made a lot of money working with Hogan, as everyone did. Big John Studd, obviously, Andre the Giant. Anyone that worked with Hogan in the 80s made a ton of money doing so. And I know Jake would have been great working with Hogan, but he shouldn't have won the title from him. No. So when... Okay, so let's go back to the when question, right? Because anytime... You know, this guy should have won the title. This guy deserved the title. No, you don't deserve the titles back then. This isn't a participation trophy. Right. It's you got to make as much money for the company as possible. And Hulk Hogan was the guy doing that and the people he worked with. So you say when, right? Yeah, when. Okay, the only thing I could possibly think of. Even, like, theoretically, right? Theoretically. Remember when the Macho Man was the champion? In 88? Yes. Yeah, but he was Um, a face. Right, I'm just saying, like, maybe you position, you figure out a way storyline. I'm not going to write the story here. Yeah, don't do that, Russo. I'm just going to say that maybe there was a way to pass it to Jake during that era. I guess, but the whole arc was that it was going to go back to Hogan. Right, I'm just saying that Jake was so, he was hot during that same exact time period. Like, he was one of the top stars. That's the thing. But that goes back to your earlier point, which was a great one. He was hot. He didn't need the title. He He had a great feud with Rude. Jake Jake the Snake is a perfect example of a guy who doesn't need the belt. 
No, he really didn't need it. He didn't need any titles, and that's why he didn't win any titles, because, you know, he, that music hits, he comes out with that snake, and everyone's like, holy shit, it's Jake yeah. the Snake, like, this is awesome. This speaks to how over and great Jake was. From 86 to 92, that was his run, right? Besides the later shit that was horrible, right? right. His 96 stuff. And people fondly remember him, kids loved him, Yeah, he was like the cool, creepy heel, then the cool, creepy face, then the devilish heel right. in 91-92. Never had a title, but you remember them. Right. I mean, I th- another thing that I think is so, that speaks volumes about Jake Roberts, and again, why he did, he was perceived a threat even without the title or yeah. whatever, was the fact that, like, if he made the save or he ma- did interference as a heel or whatever, like, right. his mere presence was like, oh shit, the cavalry's coming. Jake the Snake, like, he's going to really help out whoever he's trying to help out. Because sure. he's like, he's got a snake and he's evil. And he he's did have a snake. He's like, he's, yes. But I mean, that was like the perception, right? Yeah. Like, remember when he comes out in like some Royal Rumble, like 89 or something? And he comes out, and it's like this big Holy shit, deal. Jake like, is here, yeah. yeah. He was one of their most over faces, and he did it without having the title. Right, and also they were showing him beating Andre the Giant and stuff like Boss, that. Boss, yeah. snack! That right? whole I angle. Mean, why do you need the title if you you're don't. incapable of stuff like that, as and I far would, as like a character is concerned? And I would say, why do you need the title when Hulk Hogan is there? I mean, right. honestly, look, I know people like to say, and there's not without merit, like, oh, Hogan always won, Hogan politics. Hulk Hogan was a big part of the reason that the WWF was what it was. Yeah. That's why you keep the title on him unless he needs to go film a movie. That's like literally the two times he lost it. I think some more important questions might be like, why didn't they just keep the title on Hogan in 1990? Instead of giving it to Warrior. Right. Stuff like, because think about that. There's an answer. There's a few answers to that one. Of course there's a few answers to it, but I'm just saying it's like, I'm just trying to make the point that's like, that's why Hulk. That's is, how big it was how, for Hulk, Hulk to have it, right? Yeah, like it was just good for everyone. It was good for business. I mean, right, yeah. plain and simple. Now, whether you retroactively or at the time like the booking or not, I mean, to each their own. But in terms of business, no, Jake didn't need the title. The same way Andre didn't need the title. I agree with you, Quinn. Yeah. And and there was plenty of people that were like not perceived as shit just because Hogan was the champion, like Roddy Piper, for example, like Macho Man, because right. he was only the champion that w- that one run, and then the flare, yeah, thing. You know so what I mean? I guess the the end of the story with Jake is kind of just that you don't need the title to be a big deal, and a lot of wrestling fans like try to retroactively like rewrite that, and everyone deserved the belt. Everyone, you know, DiBiase should have had it. Perfect should have had it. You know, all these guys should when. Yeah. When do they have it? Right. Those are the, kind of the two factors. It's just like they don't need it and there's no time for them to have it. No. And you got to remember one last thing here uh, about WWF champions, specifically in the 80s into the 90s, but even now, is Hulk Hogan's face was fucking everywhere as the champion. He was like literally the mascot of the WWF, right? Yep. You know, he was on, he had a cartoon after him, right? He did commercials. He was on magazines. He was on TV shows. That worked. They weren't going to. You know, to quote Mike Love from the Beach Boys, fuck with the formula. They weren't, you know what I mean? They weren't going to... Is he the crazy one? Mike, no. Mike Love is the really horribly untalented one. Okay. (laughs) The one that's always on Full House. Oh, okay. With the hat and the Hawaiian shirt. Oh, He's just horrible and he can't act and he can't sing and he's terrible. Sure, as long as Becky keeps cooking up food like this. Uh, Anyway. They weren't going to screw with that. No. You don't need creepy Jake Roberts being the face of the company. What a, what, what a face that would <laughs> That's be. what I mean. Whether he's heel or face, you don't do that. Yeah, you know what? Now that I'm thinking it too, it's like the character doesn't fit this like, no! let's put him on lunch boxes and shit. Like, <laughs> right. it's, like, it doesn't work that Maybe way. Maybe put him on beer koozies. But yeah. <laughs> nevertheless, uh, I think that's uh, two questions answered now, right? Yeah. Should they have done that? 
No. Yeah, <laughs> but, but no to both. No to both. But folks, continue to send in your questions. You can get the link to that uh, spreadsheet there on our Facebook group. But Quinn, when we come back, we have also asked the fans for their Intercontinental Champion rankings, the top 10 and the bottom 10. And guess what? Now it's week one of the Royal Rankings of WWF Intercontinental Champions. That is coming up right after this. Today could be a lot of fun and precious one. I'd feel good just to walk with you. Tonight'll be a special treat. You're so sweet and I feel good just to talk with you. You know that I've been a long time needing you. Great beer taste. That's what got me. It's a great light beer. Got it? It's because of its great taste. Great light beer. He still doesn't get it. Great taste. One love at night, Buck. Whatever got you guys. With love at night, you got it right. Great taste in a great light beer. Have you noticed how many true beer drinkers are choosing Labatt Light? It's not just a light. It's a Labatt Light. Hey, it's Sean Mooney. Who cares? From Harley Race to Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair to The Rock, Sting to Steve Austin, you're listening to our Vanish Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. And welcome back, wrestling fans, to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast, episode number 131, here on Memorial Day, May the 27th, 2019. Hey, Quinn. Hey. Did you know that we have a Patreon? Do you know that? I'm not sure. What's the site again? Well, it's patreon.com slash OVP podcast. Oh, I think I've been there. You've been there? You've been, I've been through there it? on the internet, yeah. Now, why do we do this, Quinn? Why do we have a Patreon? Um, mainly it's so we can watch 1982 WF. That's mainly and, why. <laughs> and, like, talk about the big event or whatever. Yeah. Now, folks, if you like our show a real lot and you want to help support us, you can do that at patreon.com slash OVP podcast. Now, we don't, we're never going to be the type of people that are like, oh, please give us your money. Blah, we don't want, uh, you know, none of that shit. This we isn't, don't, we don't do that. We don't do that. We do this show every single week for free. And if you like this show so much that you want to get more content, it's available on Patreon. Now, there's three tiers. For two bucks a month, you get every Monday the video version of the show you're listening to right now. Wow. Wow. Yeah, you get to see anything that didn't make the final the, cuts. The and, shirts. Maybe. Yeah, the shirts we're wearing. Yeah. Now, if you add $1 to that for $3 a month, you also will get bi-weekly WWF 1982 live video reviews. Right. What is that? It's a, it's a live video review of... Basically, WWF 1982, like it's us like watching it or whatever. In order, in order, chronologically. Now, I want to point something out for people who don't know. Uh, point it out. Going forward, we're going to have something called OVP Live Review Rewind. Yes, for free. See, we have a ton of freaking episodes at this point. Right? Yes, we do. So. You know, every when we release the new one, there's going to be a free old one available. Yes, on every, YouTube. Every week going forward. Yep, we do have a YouTube channel, which you can check out for free, obviously. And we are, as of now, it'll probably get ripped off eventually. We're the exclusive proprietors of Bingo Break, by the way, oh, too, on course, that channel. Yes. <laughs> yeah, if you want to go watch that over there. But the point is, yes, is that maybe ahead. you don't know what this is. Yes. And you want to get a taste. Go over to our YouTube channel, OVP Podcast. Yes. YouTube channel. And uh, over there, you can watch one of the Rewind episodes. Yep, kind of get an idea of what this is about. Absolutely. And then the final tier is $5. So you'll get everything we already mentioned, the raw video and the bi-weekly 82s. But every single month, we're going in order, and we're doing a full podcast review of WWF pay-per-views. Now, we've already done WrestleMania 1, the wrestling classic, WrestleMania 2, and out right now is the big event. It's big. For June, Quinn, it's the really big one. It's WrestleMania 3. That'll be coming out in June. 
that's going to be actually a fairly positive review. I, I think imagine. so. Yeah. So if you're on the fence about it, hey, that's fine. Maybe give it a try. You, you only have to pay like one month. And if you don't like it, then you don't like it. That's fine. Maybe give it a shot. You know, if you have a couple of bucks to spare, try it out. See if you like it. And if you don't, just cancel it. So that's patreon.com slash OVP podcast. Now, Quinn, we're doing the Royal Rankings. Yep. Uh, if we have any new listeners here, I want to explain what the Royal Rankings is real quick at the outset of the season here. Before the season started, we asked you guys for a list of your top 10 and bottom 10 WWF Intercontinental Champions of all time. All of the votes were compiled and put into two separate tanks, one for the worst and one for the best. This week, we're going to start with the best. And what happens is every week, we're going to alternate. We're going to pull two names at random. And it really is random. You can see the drawing on the uh, raw video. Yep. It's actually random. It's completely random. And we're going to see where they rank. We're going to discuss each champion. We're going to see where they rank. So at the end of this season, you're going to have the top 10 and bottom 10 WWF Intercontinental Champions of all time. It's scientific, Quinn. It's very, it's the most scientific. There's beakers. Yeah, lab coats. Yeah. Clipboards. You know what I always like about the first week, right? Yes. Is somebody is going to be the greatest intercontinental champion like right off the bat right that's it yeah we're gonna find out who that is in a second here so without any further ado why don't we go down to howard finkel for the royal rankings ladies and gentlemen it is now time for the royal rankings you are nothing but garbage yeah nobody beats mr perfect (laughs) nobody Changing your body pads. And the ultimate winner, the night itself, no victory. That's J E double F, J A double R E double C. Because Shawn Michaels is the undisputed Intercontinental Champion. There can only be one champ, and it's me. Shake, rattle, and roll. I don't care about the backstroke up the Mississippi. Woo! the Royal Rankings Week 1 of the WWF Intercontinental Champions. I have to say, yes. what a package what a that package. just was. Huh? <laughs> Quinn, let's discuss briefly here why anyone might even care about the greatest Intercontinental Champion. I mean, it's not the top belt after all. It isn't. But uh, a lot of people, um, they seem to love this title. Yes, I, I, I myself think, included. I think it's because of its origins. I mean, not the very beginning, but you know, a little bit, but uh, early eighties, early at least. early mid eighties. Um, especially once Hogan came along, the mm-hmm. main event was the realm of big, gigantic people who you know lumbered and generally, looked, yeah, it wasn't that competitive. A lot of usually, lumbering. it was just one champion a for a long yard. ass time. Yes, this division, however, was very competitive and a lot of up hotly contested, yeah, hotly contested back and forth matches with, centered around a main feud, and it was just, it was for some people, it was perceived as better. The worker title is a uh, title yeah. is something I've heard attributed to it. But it's true, though, Quinn, throughout the 80s and into the 90s, much of the 90s, there was usually a very hot feud surrounding the Intercontinental title. It was always well promoted. You know, the, the announcement of the Intercontinental title match, we get a big pop a lot of times from right. the Fink. Yeah. You know, well, this is going to be a tremendous like it's the world title right it was like another title that mattered and they treated it like it mattered and even during its height i mean they they would headline house shows separately by the intercontinental title absolutely good point there and a lot of classic matches and i don't just mean work rate but just classic fun to watch matches and angles came out of this title so that's going to be our quest this season is to determine who are the best 
and who are the worst of the WWF Intercontinental Champions. But right now, we're going to find out who drew number one in the Royal Rankings. It's Razor Raymond. Yeah. I love him. Razor Ramon. Scott Hall, folks, was, uh, for me, the consummate Intercontinental Champion when I was growing up and started watching wrestling yeah, in 94. Four, four times, right? Four times. I, re- which I remember that number. He was the first ever to be a four-time champion. And for me, he was always a, um, a prototypical consummate perennial intercontinental champion like it just very made mid, sense card well quinn he had gold around his fingers gold yep. around his neck that's what they would say and he had gold around his waist most of He's the time losing machismo and, that's right. and gold too. and gold razor ramon scott hall was in wwf uh, starting in late 92 quinn and i have talked extensively about how shitty he was as a heel, heel when he came in ass. <laughs> it is i'm they, sorry they act like he's monster of the month or something yeah and, like he he just loses immediately. That great match against Bret Hart at Rumble 93, notwithstanding. It's, terrible. And, uh, it's a terrible match. Now, his character was fun. I love the Razor character as a heel, but he right. was such a goof in the ring. Like he, he, He's basically Scarface. Yeah, the character's great. And Hall admits it was basically Scarface. And Vince just popped. you got to remember, Vince hadn't seen Scarface. But he was goofy in the ring. However, by mid-93, he turns face, right. which I thought was awesome because he seemed like it was time for him to be a face. I don't know how to explain it, Quinn. I, I just felt this character was better as a face. And it, I agree. I know that's weird to say because considering like later on when he was the Outsiders and yeah. it was kind of the same thing, he was a great heel. <laughs> yes. But I guess WF never seemed to handle Razor as a face well, specifically. Well, the thing is, Quinn, you know how like Jake Roberts was just better as a face, like the 80s Jake? Yeah. It was kind of the same thing with Razor. He was just cool. It was just better. Make him a face. You know what I mean? Instead of yeah. having him be the comical heel. Yeah. Like selling shit. Yeah. They, I don't know what it was about WF did, but I guess it just didn't work as a heel. No, it just didn't. Yeah. I, I didn't think it did. So he wins the Intercontinental title rather memorably in that 20 man. Well, he doesn't win it in the 20 man. They have a 20 man battle royal on Raw in September of 93. Right. Because Jack Tunney, quote unquote, Stripped Shawn Michaels for take Tony for not there. defending it. In real life, it was some kind of dispute with Vince, which Michaels to this day denies that was steroids. It's one of the weirdest it is, right? disputes because there is seemingly no record of Shawn Michaels being a steroid user ever. Well, I mean, I'm sure he used it, but he didn't get suspended for it. Ever, everyone used steroids. What do you mean? Don't have rose-colored glasses on over there. I mean, was Razor using the steroids? I, everyone probably was. Brett did. So wh- why the singling out of Michaels in this case? I well, don't remember. See, I, don't, I don't know I don't if it really was steroids. Under- understand what was going on. Here. Did you see him in late '93? He didn't look like he was on steroids. That's for I, sure. Yeah, that's looked what like I he mean. He was on it's, Twinkies. Yeah, he looks all puffy. But anyway, one way or another, we needed a new Intercontinental Champion. So we have a 20-man battle royal on Raw that included people like uh, MVP Steve Lombardi, uh, Jimmy Superfly Snuka. Why? And uh, Rick Martel and Razor Ramon were the last two. So, to me, this is such a, a move for them in this time period of Rick Martel. <laughs> yeah. Like, this guy, I don't know why. It's he hadn't like, been relevant. He hadn't been relevant, but he seemed like, well, this guy could win the Intercontinental title. It makes sense, title, right? right? <laughs> like, it's, I guess, right? Yeah. And actually, looking back, I would have probably been one of those people watching this thinking, yeah, of course Rick Martel is going to win the <laughs> right. Intercontinental like, Duh. So, so you know Mar- what I mean? Yeah. So Martell and Razor face off the next week on Raw to crown the new Intercontinental Champion. And it's a very good match in the main event of Raw. And Razor wins it with the Razor's Edge. And there you go. Boom. New star here. Razor Ramon, WWF Intercontinental Champion. Here comes the Razor's Edge. Oh! Step to step. We got a new champion. One, two, three. Yeah. 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 
And his first big feud, if you don't count the IRS shit from Rumble 94. <laughs> I thought that was his first feud. Was really with Shawn Michaels, who came back in November. Right. And uh, he would go on to feud with him for WrestleMania 10. Yeah. Right? So this is November to March right now. What did Michaels, when he came back... What accessory did he happen to be carrying with him? Oh, the real Intercontinental <laughs> title, obviously. And actually, it was the real it title. It was the original one yeah, that he had exactly. won. Yeah, exactly. Because they had to, to fashion a new one for Razor right. Raymond over and there. Razor Raymond. So they feud over who the real Intercontinental champion is all throughout the winter of 94. He Col- was never beaten, Shawn he, Michaels. Uh, you're, you are right about that. And it culminates, obviously, in a classic ladder match at WrestleMania 10, uh, which is... Razor Ramon doesn't get enough credit for. No, he's good in it. He was tit for tat in that thing. To me, it's both of them. Both of them, yes. I mean, honestly, Sean was taking the bumps, let's be fair. Like he was the taking, brunt of the bumps, yes. Right, the, the stuff that seemed like so unbelievable in yeah. 1994. Yeah, but overall, great performance from both men. Obviously, a uh, a benchmark of Michael's career. You know what a lot of people don't talk about with that and all of this? What? Is that like one aspect of the ladder match that I think is why it's so spectacular at the time. You have to remember that at the time, the bumps that both men were taking in the match yep. were considered deadly. This is true. And I think that's why they were able to sell it so well. And I think that overall, it made Razor come out looking like such a great Intercontinental Champion. Yeah, you, know? That- you know what I mean? Like It's like he survived this thing that, wow, if you fell off the top rope back then, you were dead. Yeah, like, that's true. the ladder, it's like ridiculous. And that iconic ending, to me anyway, of him climbing the ladder and holding both belts. Because to I me, yeah, it. that also like kind of settled it. It's like, okay, this guy has both of them. He's the champ. Get rid of that other one now. Yep. But Which my, one did they get rid of, actually? I don't know. That's a great question. Yeah. I, the, the Razor's was a little more silvery, the one yeah, he had been a carrying. A little shinier. A little shinier. But Michael's just gets Diesel to win the title from him instead in yeah. April. It's <laughs> fuck this, okay? <laughs> like, if, if you're going to use some ladders against me, yep. you can't beat me in one-on-one. I'll go get this big guy. So then Razor and Diesel have a, another underappreciated match. SummerSlam 94 and Razor wins a bet. Great match. Walter Payton's there for fun. I forgot about <laughs> Remember that. Good match, though. And again, an example of how even in 94, the Intercontinental title still very hotly contested. The crowd really into it. You know what? It's a tradition of the Intercontinental title, which I'm sure we're going to touch on going through all these champions. A big SummerSlam match. Almost always. Right. Absolutely. Even in 1994. Even in 94. Uh, So Razor has a second run there. And that lasts until, unfortunately, I hated this as a kid. Rumble 95, when Double <laughs> J beats him for it after, like, the count-out victory or if, whatever. If anything reeks of 1995, it's Double J <laughs> winning the Intercontinental title oh. from Razor Ramon. I mean, it's a great heel move. I just remember him like, he ain't no Chico, he ain't no bad guy. And then Razor gets back in and loses. I just remember it's very being upsetting. Like, who is this guy dressed like a cow, like, with stripes on? <laughs> And he's got this guy that is way cooler than him. Yeah, the roadie. Yeah. So uh, that really pissed me off as a kid. Razor fails to win it back at WrestleMania 11, which we talked about, you know, recently. Why? I know. (laughs) That should not have gone any longer than that. Right. To be fair. Now his, I agree. Now his third run, this is not really something that ever gets talked about. There was a a series of house show uh, ladder matches that Razor and Double J had in, I believe, Montreal area in... May of 95. How did he win the third one again? Was that on TV? No, that's the thing. Is He beat Jarrett Ford at a house show in May of 95 and a few days later lost it back. My memory of all of that is literally like, oh, suddenly he was Intercontinental Champion or something. Right. Like, and like They the, mentioned it on Superstars. Yeah. That he won it and lost it over the weekend or something like right. that. So that was his third reign. That's, that's really nothing. And then his fourth and final. 
Intercontinental title run. <laughs> There's a lot of click involved in this. Yes. So Michaels have been the champion, right? Right. He beat Jarrett for it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. At July '95 in your house, and Michaels went on to feud with Dean Douglas. <laughs> Dean Douglas. Dean Douglas. Dean Douglas was not a favorite of the click. Let's put it that way. Well, or anyone, I think, in WWF. He stunk. Like, <laughs> the gimmick was bad. Yeah, the whole like, thing was what? bad. It was just you all know, bad. People get on the click a lot for this, but seriously, that was just... Did a, you see Dean Douglas? Like, are you looking at what we're watching? Like, Dean, like it stunk. And I don't think that Shane Douglas at the time was the most amiable person either backstage, you know? I just felt like the purpose of that, like, if they were going to go long-term or... I don't whatever know what term. I'm suspecting with him as the champion or whatever. Did they just think, well, he needs it because he's just so bad. Like, and we don't really want to like salvage this character. Well, like, and, and I think it was also Quinn to get it off Michael so he could then get in the world title scene. Right. That's the other thing. Yeah. So what happens is Michael's mouths off somewhere in Syracuse at some nightclub and gets beat up, which I find now, funny to this day. Though. Yeah. No, that really that's happened. That's not him like faking it. So he doesn't have to lose the belt to Dean Douglas. Well, I mean, he got punched. He could still have taken a bump and lost the title. Did you but see his eye? Shut up, Remember Quinn. his face is like, <laughs> tell me a lie, Joe. Uh, so they run this whole windbreaker angle with him and he <laughs> gives the title to Dean Douglas, who like dickily takes the now, belt from him. I, remember? Ask, I don't remember yes. exactly, but was Gorilla in there for whatever reason? To, I like, think he was. To take the belt and then give it to Dean Douglas. Yeah, it's like the prequel to when he actually gave it up again in 97. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's like Gorilla's <laughs> in there, Michael's is all sad, has the shitty beard and is crying. You know, don't, you get to see it twice, don't folks. Don't lie, okay? Yeah, I, he did. Michael's watching Dean Douglas put the Intercontinental Championship around his waist. Dean Douglas now has to immediately defend his newly given to him title. What a fucking jobber this guy is. To Razor Ramon. Now, the best part of this match, when I mean, you watched it not long ago, right? Yeah. Remember I told you about it, how like shitty it was? The razor just comes out and kills him. <laughs> In like 10 minutes, though, it's just nonstop Razor kicking his ass. It's total Razor offense the entire time. And the pinfall is like, he suplexes him like shittily yeah. and pins him while Douglas's leg is draped over the rope. Remember that? Here we go! Razor has Douglas up! Yeah, props it down the canvas! One, two, and the count of three! What? Nobody cares. <laughs> and nope. Only King. Yeah. King's like, McMahon, what about the leg? If it's like, there was no leg, I didn't see Everyone a leg. Everyone just ignores him. It's just like, fuck this guy. Like, we don't, nobody cares. <laughs> and I remember Razor winning it. He had this shrug of like, well, I guess I'm the champion again. Yeah. You know, like, whoops. When I guess you- I'll hold this for a bit. <laughs> yeah, when in doubt, give it to Razor Ramon, right? Right. So that that fourth and final run there is really not impressive. It was literally just like a placeholder. Feuds with Goldust, loses it to Goldust in January of 96. Now, okay. And so that's Razor. Going over this now, it's a little weird, actually. To, 50% of these Razor reigns are kind of whatever. Yeah, the last two. The and first two are great, though. They're good, but are they great? We're going to have to find out. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the thing with this is like, I just, I feel like maybe there's some rose tinted nostalgia glasses on this. There might be for people that grew up watching wrestling right around the mid nineties. Like I I I grew up with Razor as the champion when I was around too, but now that I'm like, we're stepping through it. It doesn't sound that impressive. His first and second reign though, I think are both really good. Yeah, I mean, they were good starts. I'm just saying, were they all timers? We're going to have to find out. But right now it's time to find out who drew number two. I 
thought I could have been a good Intercontinental Champion. This guy. Brett the Hitman Hart. Now, this is random drawing, folks. Here we go. Two big names to start, Quinn. Bret Hart, Intercontinental Champion. Doesn't get talked about as much, obviously, as Bret Hart World Champion. I think it's a... For uh, obvious reasons. A very significant portion of his career, to be honest with you. To me, there, there is no... Bret Hart without the Intercontinental title, absolutely, in my opinion. And he was one of the guys, and Michaels would later do this as well, that established that, yes, you can break out of a tag team, and you can get the Intercontinental title, and that can help you elevate yourself to get to the world title. And actually, I personally feel like that path became like the most logical path for most wrestlers after like Bret Hart established it. It was that edge. You, you start as a tag wrestler, yep. you win some mid-card titles, depending on like your era, whatever the mid-card whatever titles Whatever it are, is, yeah. And then you move your way to the world title, right? Guys like Edge would be another one that did that, yeah. right? So Bret Hart, obviously, we all know Bret Hart. We all know what he was about. Hart Foundation, 85 to 91. They lose to the uh, Nasty Boys while Macaulay Culkin watches, and yeah. Gorilla doesn't know who that is. You know, right. that whole oh, thing. Oh, that youngster! <laughs> what's st- happening? We still need to get him on the show one of these days just Macaulay to talk Cole. to him. Yes. You know he would, too, right? Yeah, if, like, if somehow that, we could get his attention, he would probably do it. You could probably it. just contact him nowadays. Like, I'm serious. <laughs> Maybe, right? He's, he is very accessible. <laughs> That's as well. true. Like, he's on Angry Video Game Nerd all the time now. <laughs> I know, it's funny. Think of it as a gift. You owe it to yourself to play those games. I hear they're awesome. So Bret Hart now is like, I'm going to be a singles wrestler and I'm going to beat everyone there. And Mr. Perfect, I'm coming for you. You know, and all that stuff, right? Yeah. So he feuds with Mr. Perfect uh, leading up to SummerSlam 91. Kurt Perfect had been very injured, but obviously him and Bret were great friends in real life. And they go out at SummerSlam 91 and have a really good match. And it's kind of Bret's coming out party as a single star. Yep, and it's an excellent match, Quinn. Yeah, just a classic, really. It really is. And of course, it ends with the "it's good" or whatever. (laughs) It's wonderful. Stew in the ceiling, of course. Stew, tell us exactly what you think about this. It's wonderful. Why don't you go? Isn't that kind of funny that Brett going into the Intercontinental Division establishes the, like, Brett's parents uh, jokes? And Bruce Hart, of course, is there with, like, the sunglasses and the yeah. bandana. And I'm no telling one. you, this the, his family is the main arc of Brett's career, and nobody ever notices it. From 91 to 97, like, yeah. they're always there in some way, shape, or they're form. They're like, hovering over the thing. And now Natty carries that on, yeah, you know? How appropriate is that, that, you know, he finally wins the Intercontinental title? Yep. The sharpshooter! He's got it! No, Brett as the Intercontinental Champion, it was just such a... It just felt right. You it know felt I mean? right, and he looked good with the belt, too, is another thing. The, no, he looks like an Intercontinental Champion. He really was. And I'm not... To be honest with you, that might be... Some people might think that a strike against him, too. Is well, that he looks well, like a mid-card champion. As a world champion, that's a strike against him. But here, it's like perfect, right? right? Uh, well, of course. So, his first run, that's where he pretty much established himself uh, the same way he would with the world title, where he's like, you know, I'm going to take on all comers. Yeah. I'm not going to dock anybody. And I'm going to prove that I am the best there is, best there was, the best there ever will be. And I invented the ladder match, Shawn Michaels. That Basic- whole thing. Basically, he's a fighting champion. He's a fighting champion. So Just in his own words. He mainly fights the warlord to start yeah. his reign. That's like who it is. And IRS and shit like that. I mean, basically the, the goobers of the mid-card. What are you going to do, right? I, I mean, want, To be fair, when he first won the Intercontinental title, you know, Mr. Perfect had had that mantle before, but I kind of felt like the mid-card wasn't exactly strong. It, it wasn't. was a bunch of workers at that point. Well, and the other thing is the people that were strong were embroiled in other feuds, like Roddy Piper and Ric Flair were feuding right. around that time. That's and they were, true. And but Flair, those are upper mid-cards, people yeah. considered in the world title picture. Right. And then Jake and Savage had their feuds, so no one's getting involved in that. Right. So you had, like, DiBiase, you had the Warlord. And yeah, I'd actually 
actually, you know, you know who the MVP of that reign is? It's it is the Million Dollar Man. Oh yeah, because they have a kick ass feud culminating in a match in December of ninety one of MSG. It's awesome. Yeah, and I mean earlier, really I think, good. Uh, is it earlier in that year or later? I, I don't know when it is, but I know just DiBiase fights Brett on Saturday night's main event and all that too. That's right? April, right before Brett. That's right after WrestleMania. But same same point made. You know, right, that yeah. DiBiase was a solid mid carter in ninety one, and he had a great feud with Brett in late ninety one for the title. But it wound up being the uh, the Mountie, of course, that Brett feuded with. Now, okay, so this whole yeah, thing. Here we go. Uh, you know, I'm sick or whatever. Stop right? it. Whatever happens, and yeah. that's why the Mountie beat him, right? That's Isn't that literally the excuse they said? That's the kayfabe thing. Yeah. 103 degree fever, whatever it is, right? Yeah. The real reason is Bret Hart had given his notice and was going to jump to WCW. Yeah, the first time. <laughs> <laughs> However, he did not know that he couldn't do that because <laughs> his contract had already rolled over. It automatically renewed oh. if you didn't do something about it within a certain so window. Wait, he just said he was going to WCW. <laughs> no, he didn't know that his contract rolled over. She so was like, Vince, I'm going to go over there and see Jim Hurd or whoever the hell it was, right? Kip Fry. Vince is like, oh, you can't do that, pal. So, <laughs> so they no, got the belt off of you him. Know, that being said, yes. Brett likes to pride himself like on all these documentaries about, oh, I was so loyal to Vince. Well, yada, yada. And then he fucking did that like I know. way before that. What is this loyalty they're talking about? He was still loyal to him overall. I'm just saying, he, he would have jumped had he not fucked up the contract. Yeah, he would have. I know, that's just, it would have been a horrible move, too. It would have been a terrible it's career really move. stupid. I agree with you. I'm not giving Brett any credit there, other than a man has the right to jump. Not saying he no, should. No, I'm not saying he doesn't have the right, but I, this, loyalty, this aspect, loyalty aspect is thrown right out the window. I think he mainly, he couches that on the fact that he stayed with them in 96. That's mainly where he gives gets that, that that's from. Where he, that's what he, even well, though he was going to clearly just leave them. He could have jumped to, you know, WCW in 96, but he didn't. I think that's where all that loyalty shit comes from. Nevertheless, that, that could be a what if question. What if Brett went, <laughs> his contract we, didn't roll over? We've some done shit. that before, haven't we? I don't oh, know. you mean the 92? No, yeah, we haven't. Yeah. But anyway, let's get back to the rain here. So, uh, so the Mountie defeats him, I believe, in Lowell, Mass, or Springfield, Mass. I only know this because they show it in the Rumble 92. Yeah, like at a house shoot yeah. or whatever. And they conveniently have a camera there for a random house show, you know, you know, because they have one camera there. I wonder if the title's going to change. <laughs> yeah, <right>? exactly. <laughs> and uh, Mountie pins him like shittily with a small package or something. Does he use the ropes, maybe? I don't remember. I don't even think he does. I think he beats him clean. So, anyway, yeah, fever match. And- What's with Jacques Rougeau beating big stars clean at house shows? He's the- <laughs> Nobody gives him credit. I mean, uh, if you don't know he famously beat hulk hogan in, in, in like the nwo like yes. the height of it like, cleanly like cleanly in like canada <laughs> he's good at doing that yeah uh, so anyway piper comes in and helps make the save because mounty was beating down brett and piper is now the champion we have obviously one of my favorite feuds and angles is piper brett wrestlemania 8 we talked about it not long ago bottom line though quinn excellent match yeah and actually i feel you know if the mr perfect match just you know was the win I felt like this Piper match established that, okay, the Intercontinental title is Bret Hart's belt, and yep. it, it's a worker belt, like because that was like a, a well-worked match. Right? Absolutely like, awesome match. Like it, awesome you know, match. Maybe with Perfect, that was just maybe people thinking, oh, maybe they're going to try to set a tone, but this is like established in stone. This is like what Bret Hart is. This is what he's all about. Right. So his first big feud in the second run is with none other than Shawn Michaels. 
Right. And they feud mainly on the house show circuit, but they, stuff now, pops up on TV I, and tapes. Can I, can I say this one you thing You can about say whatever you feud? want. I felt a Anything. lot of it was like a proxy feud where they would like barb at each other about like how they're going to fight on a house show That's, somewhere. I and it's it. never on like, it's never like on TV really. Or, That's what I loved about and it. And if you want to really see it, you have to get a Coliseum videotape. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you look at 92 WWF tapes, the Brett and Sean are all over them fighting each other as singles. Right. It's and true. Actually, can we call this a, a, a Coliseum home video feud? And house show. Yeah, you're right. I, I mean, mean, it really was. Mainly. Pretty much what it was. I mean, they, they would promote it on TV, but they never really fought on TV. And this is almost a precursor to Brett's uh, Coliseum home video world title reign as well, <laughs> like, if you recall. His first world title reign, that yeah. We, remember we were talking about yes. that recently? So, uh, in July of 92 is where Brett invented the ladder match, don't forget. Yeah, and, oh, you know, I fought Bad News Allen and something, <laughs> or, and I invented it. <laughs> and uh, they had a great little ladder match. So, they, they had a lot of good matches, Brett and Sean, because of course they did. It's yeah. Brett and Sean, right? It's the two best workers <laughs> in the company. Honestly, really, at that time. But uh, Brett's reign comes to an end in another excellent match, Quinn, against British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith, SummerSlam 92, Wembley, of right. course. Right, now this is, this is the match that Brett cries about, and it's... <laughs> You know, it's the best batch I ever had. That's what he says. Yeah. He actually says... Even though Davey got blown up in like five minutes or something. I'm fucked or whatever he said, yeah, right? Yeah. That's because he did the cocaine or whatever, right. the crack. Exactly. A- anyway, it's a... It looked like Bo Derrick. <laughs> it's a performance of Brett's career. It's not his best match, I don't think, now, personally. Now, to me, honestly, looking back now, you know, people make a big deal about this Tom McGee shit, right? And his yeah. carry job. Yeah. That Bulldog match was a carry job if the Bulldog was completely bored Useless, by the five yeah. minutes in. Like, it, 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 yeah, you know, broken or whatever. Borked? Is borked a word? Yeah, borked. Never heard borked. I never heard borked. Yeah, it's it's a thing. All right, um, uh, he got borked. Are you sure? Yeah, it's definitely a thing. That's Look not it a, up. that's not a sexual euphemism. No, no, no. It's not that. Borked. I mean, I guess you could use it as a sexual euphemism. I'm not but, going to. But I, I think it's. Hey, like buddy, you if, want to bork? If you're if you're out of energy or broken down or you're borked or you broke it, you borked it. Are you sure? Yeah, definitely. All right. You want me to look it up? No, no, it's oh. okay, Quinn. But. So, yeah, you were saying about the carry job there. I mean, yeah. Brett had to actually call spots on camera, which is rare, but you yeah. can see him doing it. He had to. But <laughs> what to, the fuck the, you to gonna his do? credit, it came off like a classic. Bulldog looked amazing. Yeah, exactly. And Brett, as always, he wrestled heel because he knew the he was a big face. He wrestled heel in front of Wembley. I mean, excellent match. he should have been, to be fair. He yeah, but Michaels been. wouldn't have been. Michaels would have wrestled face. Well, he's <laughs> an asshole in 92. Well, here's the thing also is Brett didn't have to be heel there. He didn't have to. He just right. chose to. Yeah, he just chose to. And it was a great match, and that was kind of the final, you know, little mark there on Brett's Intercontinental title run, was losing it to his brother-in-law, British Bulldog, uh, while Diana Hart was there, you know, and Sean Mooney and all that yeah, stuff. Diana, yeah, what do you think? Diana Hart in the brown coat or <laughs> yeah. whatever. I love Brett and I love Davey. You know, that I, whole just, thing. I don't want them to get her hands <laughs> over the mat the whole fucking match. Yeah. She's like standing in a crowd of everyone sitting. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I wouldn't want Sean Mooney near me either if I was watching this match. <laughs> Why does he always pry when people are, like, concerned about something? It's true. <laughs> Can I get your comments? <laughs> Shut up. She's worried about her husband and her I brother. Know. Leave Jeez. her alone. God, a little cooth. All right, anyway, Quinn. Those are the two runs. Brett only had two. Razor had four, only two of which were good. So it's ranking time. Now, obviously, these are the only two to rank, so one's going to be the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time. Let's fine-tune our criteria here. Okay. They both won their titles uh, in impressive fashion. impressive fashion. Brett won both of his in very good matches. Razors, mm-hmm. not so much, honestly. And the yeah. Diesel match was really good. The Martell one was okay. It wasn't memorable. Yeah, but, you know, the thing about Razors, I feel like it comes dead stop after he loses it the second time. 
to uh, Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, it's just like nothing ever really comes of it. And I always wonder, was you know Scott Hall the guy trying to angle to be in the world title picture at the back at that know. point? Like why? Like why was he still getting these weird intercontinental title runs after that? Even like into early '96, basically. Yeah, I don't know. I always thought that Scott Hall was ready to move on to the world title scene in '96. That's what I mean. Had, they, like, yeah, yeah. had he stayed? Yeah. But I do think that you're onto something with his first two are really the only noteworthy intercontinental title. He yep. did nothing with the fourth one. The third the th- one doesn't even count. Doesn't even count. No, yeah. it's not. It's literally nothing that yeah. you could see. Uh, the, the fourth one, he did nothing. He was like the placeholder because Michaels and Dean Douglas and all that. So it was like, okay, give it to Razor again. And he just held it for a couple months anyway. And lost it to Goldust, yeah. Right. So, eh, on that. His first two, though, Quinn are really good and he was really over and They're obviously strong. his crowning achievement though is the ladder match right as but I mean, some champion. people might say it's Shawn michael's crowning achievement so that's the one thing there is that it's it's questionable which man came out higher uh, michael's out did. of that one yeah michael's did but i think razor ramon might not get enough credit yes, for his work enough. in that match fair that's enough. all Bret Hart, on the other hand, I mean, he had a ladder match too. <laughs> he did title run, um, which is very good. I think the quality of matches is definitely significantly higher. And with Bret, the quality with the quantity, I mean, it's like yeah, he had the first one with Mister Perfect, yes, the Roddy Piper, the British Bulldog, the ladder match with Sean, A- anything with Sean, yeah. Not not to mention uh, some underrated stuff with DiBiase, right, in late ninety one, yeah. Meanwhile, Razor had what besides the ladder? The Diesel match where he won it back is really good. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. It is. Uh, I don't know what he had in late 93 going into 94 that was anything great. Yeah. That's the thing. I feel like, unfortunately, for this one, it's like super easy, right? I think so. I'm just trying to find any way where maybe Razor could be better. I don't think he... I mean, the Jarrett match is okay. Well, okay. You can't say this about Razor. By consequence of just how his career went, his reign is remembered as like kind of his legacy besides the NWO is like, you know what I mean? His WWF legacy, yeah. Right. It's just like he He is associated with the Intercontinental title very strongly. Right. Four-time Intercontinental champion between 93 and 96. But I keep, I always say this is the Dean Ambrose rule just because he held it long or whatever. Or held it a lot. Or held it a lot doesn't mean anything. Because you could true. just do nothing. Like but I you, would, could, you could literally think of it this way. You could win the title, never defend it for like two years, lose it, then win it again, <laughs> never defend it for two years, lose it, and then autom- like just by those two reigns, you're like the longest ever. That's true. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, cumulatively. Yeah. Now, it is worth mentioning, though, that there was about 40 or so names that made the best list, and the fact that Razor made the top 10 to even be in this discussion is saying something. Well, yeah, he definitely left a mark on like people's memories with this kind of thing. Right, yeah. Um, and I think that's just because, like, after Brett, Razor, I mean, I guess Sean, too, but, like, it was basically, like, Brett, Sean, Razor. That was the early 90s of Intercontinental Champions. Yeah, I mean, 91 like, through 96 is those like, guys like mainly. like, the big three. Some people will say Mr. Perfect, but I can yeah. that more like a runoff of the 80s, but... Kind of. It's not, kind it's of. not the same. All right. But, um, you know, the big... They're the three pillars of the Intercontinental title division. In the 90s. I agree. And Razor was a good champion, meaning that he was just over. His matches were generally hot, you know? Right. But I think Brett, you could say the same thing about... There's more quality in all of that. There was more quality. He probably was more emphatic about the fact that he was the Intercontinental Champion, he if that makes sense. like the world title. He's another guy who probably, like... While Razor, you know, definitely had price sights to be in the world title picture from the beginning, because of his body size... Because yeah, of, his overall talent. Also, just because, like, the minute he walked in, he was, like, feuding with the world champion and stuff. That's true. Randy like, Savage, yeah. 
the thing with him is though like it felt like the intercontinental title was just a, another stop on the way to him eventually making like at the time right? at the time yeah right right whereas brett when he was the intercontinental champion this felt like the end of the road this felt like the peak yeah i mean that's that's true quinn and i think also brett's work as intercontinental champion was so damn good that it's not a surprise that when they needed to get a new yeah. world champion in late 92, they picked Brett. I'm just saying guys like Brett and Shawn Michaels were right. guys that when they won their respective titles, mm-hmm. those were two guys that thought they had hit the pinnacle. And then they performed. Even though they didn't. They, right. Even though they didn't, but they performed accordingly. Like, this was going to be it for them. This, these are going to be the matches of their lives. They're, they're the highest title they'll ever get because some big Hulk Hogan type is going to come along and yeah, <laughs> right, Yeah, title. yeah. I, I agree with your assessment there. I think overall it's close, but it's not too close. I think Bret Hart overall encapsulated what an Intercontinental Champion should be. Uh, generally, they're really good as faces. There could be good heel Intercontinental Champions too, obviously. But to have a good wrestling face Intercontinental Champion in the 80s and 90s, was Bret was that as yeah. far as I'm concerned. He was great at it. Obviously, his world title runs overshadowed his Intercontinental title runs, and people generally think of Bret as a world champion, but Correct. when you look back, he was a damn good Intercontinental Champion. He lent credibility to it. He had good matches. Razor did too, but I think Brett gets the nod here, and I'm not saying that because Brett's my favorite, but... I, I agree with you, actually, which is rare about anything with Brett Hart. <laughs> However, <laughs> yeah. uh, when I compare it to Razor, like I said... Razor's good! Like I said, there's three pillars of the Intercontinental title division in the, in, mid-90s. In the mid-90s, yeah. and it's Brett, Sean, and Razor. Yes. But I think Razor is kind of the He's the pillar, like on the, the side that you're not noticing as much. Like <laughs> okay. he's like he's the lower pi- pillar. Okay, like, fair you enough. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, again, still very good, still good enough to make it into the top ten for the fans, and uh, we'll see where he eventually but, I falls. Mean, I have to say this to Razor. Congratulations yes. on being the second greatest intercontinental champion of all time. That's I mean, a really that, that's good a, point. That's a really high honor. It is high. No, it's extremely high. So uh, I guess it's officially ranking time now, Quinn. Yeah. As of week one here, let's congratulate. The best WWF Intercontinental Champion of all time, Brett the Hitman Hart. And at number two, Quinn, very impressive, like you said, very high honor here. Yeah. It is Razor Ramon. That is the top two WWF Intercontinental Champions may, of all time. May I just say, what did these Intercontinental Champions explore the legends of <laughs> yeah, That's right, they did. And folks, if you, <laughs> be sure to let us know what you think. Who was better, Brett or Razor? You can let us know that on Twitter, at OVP Podcast. You can email us at OVPPodcast at gmail.com, or of course, join the group and talk to us there. But Quinn, when we come back, look alive because it's WWF 11 alive boy why why i don't know but why why is the most important (laughs) question but we are reviewing that and it's coming up right after this From here on in, retaining the World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Championship belt is going to be the hardest part for the Hitman. And now I got to go up against Mr. Fuji and the Berserker. This is one guy that's definitely not playing with a full deck. But when you think of wild cards, any wild card can make it to the championship just like in football. But this is one wild card that's up against the excellence of execution. The greatest technical wrestler in the World Wrestling Federation today. And this belt 
It proves it. Berserker and Mr. Fuji, the most devious of them all, you're up against the best. And do you got what it takes to take the Intercontinental Championship belt? Hi, this is Jameson. Remember me? Yeah, me neither. You're listening to Our Vantage Point Retro Wrestling Podcast. It's the best. And welcome back, wrestling fans, to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Happy Memorial Day here for episode number 131, Quinn. We are not the only wrestling podcast out there. Did you know that? That's true. There's a few others that are scrapping their way through the independent podcast circuit. That's what it's called, right? It's a circuit. It's like, you know, you know, Little Mac and Punch Out. He's <laughs> yeah. going to the, the minor circuit. Yeah, Bald Bull is there yeah, and shit yeah. like that. I was just playing that the other day, by the way. Good game. The yeah. original Punch Out? I made it up to actually Mr. Dream or whatever. Well, you're, oh, you weren't playing Mike well, Tyson's? Well, because the Nintendo Switch only has... Because the, they can't put that Mike yeah, Tyson one that's up. unfortunate. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. But nevertheless, folks, there's a couple of friends we're wanting to check out. Start with the wrestling podcast about nothing, WPAN. It's hosted by two guys that have actually worked in the wrestling business, unlike us. Uh, one of them is a wrestler. He is currently wrestling in the Ring of Honor. His name is the brawler, Brian Malonis. The Wine City Whaler. Yes, his partner, of course, the Beer City Bruiser. Actually, I just want to say on the air, Brian, thank you for wishing me a happy birthday the other day. Oh, that's very nice of you. I just want to say it here. Make make it more sincere, right? Instead of just, you know, Facebook messaging. Yeah, there you go, Quinn. Yeah. Uh, His partner is a guy that used to work in the wrestling business, but he is now retired. He is a former independent wrestling referee, Mean Mike Crockett. Davey Mike Crockett. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Davy Mike Crockett. The Davy Crockett of podcasting. Yeah, he's got a raccoon on his head and everything. King and the Wild Frontier. Yes, he is. And these guys go through the frontier of wrestling as they talk about some retro, some current, some perspective as guys that have worked in the business. Great show. Check out the wrestling podcast about nothing. And also check out, on Thursdays, no, no, it's not Seinfeld, nor is it Frazier or Will and Grace. It's Greetings from Allentown, the critically acclaimed solo wrestling podcast. Pete Winston, a very quirky fellow, Quinn, uh, he goes through an episode of Old Wrestling, but instead of just talking about the wrestling show, you know, what you would think someone would do if they're reviewing it, he talks about almost anything but the wrestling going on most of the yeah, time. Yeah, Ron Kittle. Yes. Stuff like that. Yeah, and cat medicine and stuff. So check out Greetings from Allentown. Great show. It comes out on Thursdays. And also check out if you like your Ratro Wrestling with a side of gravy and Miracle Whip. Check out Book in the Territory with Mike Mills and his crew. They do two shows, Quinn. They do those Smoky Mountains, very smoky. And they also do the NWA, or WCW, I guess it's becoming, Crockett era, but merging into the Turner era here. So check out Book in the Territory with Mike Mills. a great show. They go south of that Mason-Dixon line. So again, our three friends of the show. Wrestling podcast about nothing. Greetings from Allentown. Book in the Territory. Quinn, we are still reviewing stuff this season. We are. We're reviewing something really fucking weird today that I have never watched before. You mean Shotgun Saturday Night? (laughs) Essentially. So, for whatever reason, leading up to WrestleMania 14, folks, which was, of course, March of 1998, the big, you know, WWF's, like, big coming home party, you know, like, we finally have a good WrestleMania again. better than WCW, (laughs) Yeah, basically. We have Mike Tyson. They had four episodes of a show called WWF 11 Alive. Okay. What the ass is this? Is it just superstars with a different name? Well, pretty Shotgun much. Shotgun or whatever? Like, what the hell? What is this name? Well, let's get into this a little bit here, and then we'll, we'll get going. First of all, by 1998, the real only syndicated thing they had going on was Shotgun Saturday Night. However, in some markets, it was simply known as Shotgun. However, 
In the UK and Canada, it was known as Superstars, and it had like the commentary with Gorilla Monsoon and people like that. However, there was also an exclusive to New York version called WWF New York, which we've reviewed before. Yes. Had Vince Russo on right. it. Bro. However, <laughs> they also repackaged it again, apparently, for a few episodes in March of 98 as WWF 11 Alive. Why is it called? Just It was on at 11 or Channel 11? or What's the 11? Well, part? from what I understand, it was on the PAX now. Remember PAX? Oh, God. Pax Network, the only channel that's like on channel three, the channel you use to get to your like VCR. Like it's like, what an honor they, they hold. And you ever notice their signal was always really shitty? It was like oh, fading yeah. out. It was like PAL over there. Yeah. Like, it, like was it was awful. coming in from Australia or yeah, something. Seriously. What was that? It looked like it was kinescoped all the time. I have no idea what was wrong with Pax. It was bad. It was and really poor. Now, before that, though, at least when I lived in like like East Brunswick area as a kid, yeah, it was the public access channel was oh, channel. for you it was. For, it was there was no packs there when i was growing up and we had store cable before comcast yeah. bought them out it was cnn was channel three isn't that weird well that's weird i swear it was yeah that's when i was growing really up convenient because sometimes i watch cnn and, well that's like, where i, I learned I, about the gulf war oh really yeah. oh yeah yeah the uh the, the famous gulf war footage with the gold logo yeah. mm-hmm. and all that and james earl jones this is cnn that whole thing yeah anyway so wbf ran this and judging by the first thing we see on the screen quinn i think they paid to have this run in an infomercial style because literally it says the following is a paid program and the advertisers are solely responsible for its content. So I literally Wait, think excuse me, the advertisers are solely who are the advertisers? WF? In I this guess case? in this case, yeah. From what I'm gleaning from this, Quinn, they just paid for like a month worth, like you know, four shows in March of ninety eight. Just to promote WrestleMania 4. Now, actually, I have a, that, that brings me to another question. Yes. May, I don't know if you know it or not. What? Are um, shows that are like a pilot, do you usually, they have to pay for them? Maybe this was like a, a pilot. Meaning maybe this was a way to sell something to the network. So they paid to produce these four episodes, something yeah, like that. I, I honestly think it was just here to promote WrestleMania 14. Just get more exposure. <laughs> they just simply I paid, really think so. paid for this time just so they can advertise WrestleMania 14. I'm dead serious. I so think that's what it is. the advertising budget for 14. Right, probably, yeah. yeah. And if, folks, if you have more information on this, please let us know. So anyway, let's get right into it here. It's got that normal, like, WBF, you know, in over 38 million languages, 13 trillion countries, blah, yeah, blah, blah. Lies. And then this intro, Quinn, it's, like, awfully edited. It's quick cuts, hideous song under it. It's got Jared yelling, a lot of headache-inducing clips flashing on the screen. Again, what does 11 Alive mean? I don't know. Like, PIX was called that in, like, the 70s. Yeah, that was my theory, was that this was PIX-related or but, something like that. But, but you're, this you're hadn't been their... Packs. Yeah, this hadn't been their slow in like 15, 20 years. Quinn, our opening shot here is promising as we're welcome to ringside. It's Steve Blackman twirling around uh, glowing kendo sticks in a dark arena. You mean just glow sticks? Yeah, yeah. basically just glow sticks. Devil sticks. <laughs> and we hear the voices of uh, Michael Cole and Kevin Kelly. Martial arts expert Steve Blackman in the ring set for singles competition this weekend set for WrestleMania. Blackman, of course, very impressive in the martial arts disciplines. Which is basically like if you're watching the Three Stooges and all of them are Larry. <laughs> when it comes to cooking, I'm the cat's meow. His opponent hops into the ring, Quinn. It's Barry Windham. Why? Yay. He's so fat. So fat. He's a piece of garbage at this point. So we see Cole and Kelly Quinn, and they're in their raw uniforms. You know, the black-like yeah. things with the patches. And we have the shotgun ring skirt. So you know all of this show is bullshit. Yeah, basically, exactly. They don't care about it. It's yeah. just cobbled together. No, I did find it interesting that they were talking from ringside. 
I don't know if any of it's in post and they just have them at ringside to do like a couple of intro they clips. Just got them out it's there possible. In, in the middle of a raw. It's, can you just say some stuff <laughs> yeah. so it looks like you're at 11 a lot? <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, of course, Quinn, the big story here is we're only eight days from WrestleMania. It's March 21st right now. Mm-hmm. And Barry Windham Quinn looks absolutely <laughs> horrible, like with his boobies and his brown vest. Yeah. Also, how is Barry Windham still employed in 1998 <laughs> in all seriousness? That is a really good question. He is so fat. Out of shape. Like, He's he, the kind of guy Rick Rude would make fun of. No offense to Barry Windham, because I, I actually, when I saw this, I, I looked up a picture of, like, what does Barry Windham look like now? Yeah. He looks like this. <laughs> like he looks like this now and he's like 60 something this is 20 years ago yeah exactly <laughs> oh god I, was just, I thought that was very disturbing it was weird now this is post blackjacks for Wyndham quinn yeah uh they had just broken up and he joined jim Cornette's nwa thing more on that don't worry it's all throughout the fucking show so he has dyed his hair back to blonde and he just looks fat and old and out and of he place has no beard and so he, has, he looks really strange he just looks bad uh earl durrell is the ref lockup goes nowhere as usual Wyndham yells. Uh, the crowd is hot, at least. Maybe it's the opening match of the taping. I'm not sure. Blackman with some high karate, and Wyndham backs off. Crossbody gets two for Blackman. Wyndham back in with a big slam, but misses an elbow and gets nailed with a drop kick and rolls outside. By the way, Wyndham's shitty tights just say NWA on the back. Yep. It's during that shit, folks. I forgot this was even happening around WrestleMania 14, to be honest with you. And and actually, the only thing that reminded me of it is recently we, when we did WrestleMania 14, yeah. you had briefly mentioned how... There was like these guys were in it. Yeah, they're in the, the battle NWA royal. People, it's horrible. Blackman, what, what a yeah. piece of crap! <laughs> like, seriously, know, like, why is. was this happening? I don't know. Uh, Blackman kicks some ass outside, and it really is Quinn. It's weird to see the former NWA World Champion get his ass kicked by fake Ken Shamrock. It is <laughs> like, it all, like it's Barry Windham. He was somebody, and yeah, Blackman's just kicking his ass. Listen, I personally. I guess maybe it doesn't phase me because personally I am a Steve Blackman fan. I, like I always them. thought he was cool. And head cheese. I know you no, like and it's Chester McCheese or Tim. It's not even just that. It's, it's mainly it's, that. No, it isn't though. <laughs> for real. Like even back in the day, I was always like perplexed why Steve Blackman wasn't pushed more than he was. Have, I, have you heard him give a promo? No, it's not just that though. It's that he looks legitimate like he could beat the shit out of anybody. But like, he, he looked even to me, he looked more legitimate than Ken Shamrock, believe it or not. You think? Oh yeah. He looked like he knew what the fuck because he didn't he was no nonsense. So I was like, well, maybe he does actually like I don't know, my my kid brain just worked this way. I just thought like, oh well he probably really knows karate or whatever. Well, like, he did. Yeah, but Do you think he, Ken Shamrock was nonsense? I think he was rather no nonsense. Also, he wasn't too nonsense. You're a bully, Vader. <laughs> like, no, it, and, he, and he was in like McMahon's stuff. And don't bring that up. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying, Steve Blackman always seemed like a legitimate threat as opposed to like anybody else. He did look legit. I'll yeah. give him that. He really did. Uh, Michael Cole hypes up the 8:57 start time for Raw as Wyndham nails a clothesline <laughs> back in the ring. Just- that start time thing, so right? Dumb. I know. It's so they can get on before Bischoff spoils the whole show. Yeah, that was why they started doing it. Yeah, to get a jump on Nitro. Yeah. Uh, nice DDT by the stalker here as Cole says that Blackman is yet to be pinned in the WWF. That's impressive. And it is impressive. I've uh, been there since November. Corner whip by Blackman followed by a karate fighter's kick, Irish whip, and a chop. Jim Cornette, who was apparently out here the whole time. Okay. I didn't notice that. So. The, that, the way that all went down, it made me wonder if they, like, clipped in another... I swear. <laughs> I don't like, think I was like, why did he just teleport there? <laughs> I didn't see him the entire time, but apparently he's been here. Nobody even popped when they... If he came under the ring or whatever the, happened. Right. Like, nobody reacted. Nobody was reacting to anything on I this know. show, by the way. Just so you know. It's true. Uh, he gives Wyndham a foreign object. 
And he whacks Blackman with it for a one, a two, and then Bradshaw runs in as fast as I've ever seen him move. You see how quick he got <laughs> to the ring? He like he was chasing dollar bills. <laughs> it's a DQ win for Wyndham, so Blackman's music plays anyway. Literally no one gives a shit. <laughs> like, and that's going to be the trend of this show. Like, yeah. A lot of these matches, some of the seats are empty, I noticed. Oh, yeah, because like, it's before Raw. People, yeah, people do not care. The, these I are don't like, know why this is a thing. These are like pre-Raw matches, yeah. I think, because they're wearing their Raw suits, the commentators. Right. I yeah. think that's where they did this. Well, I always assumed that. And actually, when I would watch these on Saturday as a kid, I was pretty well aware of that at a certain point. That they were taping it at Raw. And I would I would think to myself, like, wow, this is so old and irrelevant. Like, even, <laughs> like, even the Saturday after Raw, because it's like, literally, the next Raw is like... In a, Fresh day, and in a day or two. Yeah, right. So you're kind of like thinking like, man, this feels so like, who gives a shit? Well, uh, that's what most people thought. I, think, yeah. when I don't think many people watch these. We get a promo for WrestleMania 14, which recaps Mike Tyson's various shenanigans on Raw lately. Quinn, remember when Mike Tyson was just casually in the WWF for like two months? Yeah, but he didn't wrestle. <laughs> so. no, no, but he was just there all yeah. the time. It was kind of cool. Right. It was. It, it really was. If you're lucky, you may get the hell beat out of you tonight trying to get that belt. Because you're uncouth imbecile. You can't get along with people. Uh, next, some kids skateboard into a convenience store, and the teenage clerk makes fun of them and then offers them Starburst to help them study physics. This is the grungiest Starburst commercial ever. Study with Starburst? Like, what? I remember this commercial, like, back then in 98, and I thought it was dumb then. Like, what does it mean? I'm going to tell, I'm going to be completely honest with you, Joe. When I first saw this ad, yeah. I literally thought this was going to be like a PSA for not smoking. <laughs> like, I. Or, like, don't do meth or whatever. Don't do meth. You know, just some kind of yeah, drug yeah. thing, right? Because yeah. the way it was shot yeah, in the convenience store that's kind of dumpy. Yeah, and the floor outside was wet. It yeah, was, like, yeah, gray. It, it just had this PSA <laughs> right. feel to it. Nobody ever says, I want to be a junkie when I grow up. Hey, Dingleberry. That sounded like Brett. There's no correlation between Starburst and physics, as far it's as I understand. Like, uh, and we, you'll see this a lot of these commercials. They're always trying to be edgy or whatever. It's almost like Starburst was, like, trying to get that look yeah. so that you wouldn't associate with like happy tropical candy fruit instead you would associate with some you know real skateboarding that's right grit kids in a store that has coffee <laughs> like, i don't know whatever next up some kid sees a shrink and his dog and describes how he's turned into various animals yeah it's bloody roar by bloody roar it's actually an okay game i will give it credit bloody roar is a pretty the good first, fighting like, game three of them were, yeah. i think the last one on PS2 or something's okay. Yeah, one and two are really good. Yeah, I, I think three is on PS2. It's three like is on PS2. PS2. Yep, right? you're right. They're not not a bad series. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's like nice kill- nice cool mechanic where you can change into an animal yeah. like in the middle of the match. It's like Killer Instinct crossed with Primal Rage, kind yeah. of you know. It's, it's, that right, type it's not of a thing. bad game. Not bad at all. Uh, next up, we have a commercial for Granola Cola. It's the first <laughs> politically correct soft drink. It's got dolphin safe waters. No beans harmed in the curding process. It restores the ozone layer, and it promotes world peace, and it tastes like shit, so drink Sprite. Image is nothing. Thirst is everything. Obey your thirst. Good commercial, I now, thought. I, it's a parody. Now, I felt that commercial was more relevant today yeah, than, I know. Than, it, than it was then. They're making fun of the whole vegan hipster movement, which I'm not, but which they are, okay? Which wasn't a big deal in the mid-90s. It really wasn't. It was yeah. such a niche you know, minor thing. Yeah, like the, the the only time I'd heard hipster literally at this point in time was when Elaine called Kramer hipster doofus. <laughs> you stupid hipster doofus! <laughs> That's the only time I had ever heard it in my life, so it's weird for this to be like referencing that. Yeah, I know, but it was really just a Sprite commercial. Yep. And now we have a very good Strider commercial, Quinn, where uh, it fails at getting out a bathtub ring. 
It fails at getting the tarnish out of grandma's precious silver, and it can't get out coffee stains, but what it can do is get rid of your zits. I hate this. Like, why does every commercial need to be ironic? Like, <laughs> in 98, it's, especially. It's really, like, over the top at this point in time. We've always talked, Quinn, about how somewhere around 97, 98, there was this weird paradigm shift in pop culture. And where all the commercials changed with it. Everything changed. Everything was just, like, mean. It wasn't even just WWF attitude. It was, like, everyone had an attitude. I have to, I have to say this. I think, like, Nintendo's Play It Loud was, like, the precursor to all this, like, you know, advertisements with toenail clippings and well sega did it too though stop like yeah but i I just mean like this this that's where i first saw this kind of thing yeah it just crept into the every single thing like fucking starburst is acting grungy (laughs) who do they think they are like what the fuck like you're fucking zit pads and you're trying to act cool but this i guess this was the the madison avenue ad executive idea of the mid-90s yeah the right? mad like, men of the 90s yeah, right this was their big grand plan it's like we're gonna make everything hipster, dry and ironic and yeah whatever kind of worked i yeah. guess now we get the m&m commercials you know with the talking red and yellow ones which is apparently a nod to george steinbrenner yeah. on seinfeld i Quinn. saw this and that was the first thing i noticed I, that's what like, it is right immediately i was like this is steinbrenner from yeah seinfeld because like, they're in this big oaken office right yeah. and you see the back of the guy's head and he's got gray hair and, and the, the floor is brown instead of blue though <laughs> That's the only thing you would notice. That. I'm just saying. And uh, by the way, John Lovitz is the red M&M, right? No. That's him? No. That's definitely John Lovitz, isn't I it? I think. It's not. I'm almost positive. You're probably right. He's wrong. Next up, Quinn, it's the Jack's Legends of Wrestling series commercial. That's right. You get Snooka, Andre, Blassie, Albano. Hey, it's 82. <laughs> figures look like junk. <laughs> like, not, they, they don't, don't look, look good, like yeah. any of the other figures, so why would you ever play with them with the right. other ones? Like, I, aren't they bigger, too? They're bigger. Well, I think, Quinn, maybe, and this is just a guess, it's just a survey. I know there's figureheads out there that know more than me about this. Maybe they were trying to appeal to the audience that grew up with these guys, because this is early 80s stuff, and it was more like a display thing. Like, you buy them, you're like 35 or something, right? And you remember these guys from when you're kids, and you put them up in your office or your man well, I mean, cave this is or whatever. you know, we know these people from... <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's 82 right here. It's definitely the 1982 here. roster over <laughs> yeah. here, but uh, I just... I, I just never understood why they just didn't make them the same as the the ones that existed. Right. The, so if you you're going to make this new Jax line, right? right? Like, yes. Jax was new still in 98. Yeah, it was only two years old. Fairly new. Yes. Like, why not make... Uh, now I have Jimmy Snuka in my lineup. Right. Like, and so he can punch, like, the Bradshaw figure or something like that. Now I have Captain Lou so I can manage all my tag champions. Like, you know, these fucking <laughs> meanders in there to do that. Uh, we're back here, and for no fucking reason, here comes the honky-tonk man. You happy, Joe? No! I don't like you this know, version I, of him. We don't watch these together anymore, but when I was watching, the first thing I thought of was you as soon as he, like, stormed out. I like, know. It's like, how annoyed you get. And I love that it, we've, we've settled that that's literally the point. Uh, <laughs> but not 98! Like, what's he there for anymore? Uh, is he getting heat with you Shut right up, now? Quinn! It's totally working. And, and he was there in 90? I don't remember him I'm being not, here at listen, this point. Listen, I'm not gonna act like he's good, but he's at not. the same time, he does still somehow <sighs> figure out a way to piss you off. Yeah, and of course he's in the black suit, Quinn, because it's the Attitude Era. And he looks all fat. <laughs> he does. Like, he, he's more he, like the Chunky the, Tonk the, Man. The, the gut is <laughs> protruding from, like, his belt area. Yeah, he's got long sideburns and a big fat gut. He big thinks fat Cadillac. <laughs> yeah. 
He thanks the crowd very much, of course, and introduces Taka Michinoku, who gets a nice reaction. His opponent, Quinn, gets the jobber entrance, and it's, uh... It's some kind of kid my size. Uh, okay, wait a second. It's the fallen angel, Christopher Daniels. <laughs> He's like me. He looks like you. Yeah, well, what? not the hair, but the not size. The, almost there. I did not expect that, Quinn. It was very... It's Christopher Daniels. It was very surprising and very, like, disturbing. Kevin Kelly has a bold-faced lie here. As Honky joins the broadcast table, Kelly calls that a great treat. I'd rather eat cardboard. Uh, quick start, of course, and Daniels looks just as good as Taka here, honestly. His hair is offensive, though. Daniels' hair yeah, is it's bad. It's super offensive. Who did you say? You were telling me earlier. Who did you say it looked like Don Callis's hair or something? Oh, yeah. He looked like uh, <laughs> Cyrus the Virus. Yeah. It's poor. Well, it did. It really looked like Don Callis. You know when he fights? Yes, when he fights. That's what he looked like. Double kip up and karate pose off. Yeah, that's right. In 98 WWF, that shit was happening. And take that Osprey. Irish whip in by Taka. Duck under a clothesline by what Daniels is- and a flying head scissors sends Taka outside. What? What is your thing against Osprey? Nothing. Oh, okay. He's a great dancer. Daniels with the what? springboard splash and he plays to the crowd. The announcer's talking about Mike Tyson, of course, because why talk about the match going on? Not punch out. <laughs> no, Just not that. The other Mike Tyson. M- M- imagine if Mr. Dream was at WrestleMania yeah. 14. <laughs> he challenged Mike Tyson. <laughs> Back in overhead, belly to belly gets two for Daniels. Referee, by the way, is Mike Kyoto. Daniels moonsaults, moonsaults off the rope to save himself, and then he hits the low down for two. Good stuff this here. This match is okay. It really it's, is. Like, surprising. Daniels charges, but gets backdropped out of the ring. Taka fakes a springboard, but hops right up to the top rope, and it's a beautiful acai moonsault from the top to the outside. Man, Taka was so underrated in WF. Like, he was. Why did they like just act like Ugh. he sucked? I know. Like, it's so annoying. He's a damn good wrestler here. Uh, the crowd politely reacts to all this as if somebody body slammed someone. It's it's unfortunate that the crowd just wasn't into they this. They don't care. They're filing for, like, work on Monday. <laughs> like, seriously, it's like seven or something, I know, right? like, yeah. Back in Taco with a seated dropkick, a body slam, and he heads up, but gets crushed, allowing Daniels to hit a top rope hurricanrana for two. It's incredible. This is really good. Yeah. Fisherman suplex by Daniels gets two, followed by a couple of leg drops, which also get two. Kelly brings up how Honky Tonk Man is scouting talent. Just shut up, Fatso. Like, and, seriously. And wasn't that his gimmick like a year ago? He's still scouting talent? Not after the, uh, the New Age Outlaws dumped him. He's, he's going to need a new guy, maybe Taka. That's all they have for Honky? Like, I have to admit, what? by the way, with what? this Honky, I was surprised to hear him, the way he was talking about, like, in reverence of Takamichi Noku well, about he is being good. a good athlete. He is. But, I mean, he's supposed to be a heel, so it's just it was just strange to me. What surprises me the most, though, Quinn, is not only Honky Tonk Man's presence here so close to WrestleMania 14, mm-hmm. but the fact that they were so uncreative that all they could do is say that he's scouting talent as he makes, like, one guest commentary appearance, like, a month. That's it's all what, they've got for him? It's what he does, man. Why did Vince have him here still? Because he's what was he doing? champion or whatever. Well, what was he helping? What was his purpose? He gets heat, does he? You, uh, for you, who? You hate him. Yeah, but it doesn't make me want to see anything else happen. It's well, just it him. Make, and... you, make you want to see him get punched. Yeah. So. Shut up, Quinn. <laughs> Corner whip by Daniels is reversed by Taka. Daniels tries a backdrop to the buckles, but Taka lands on his feet, lands a drop kick off the top from behind, and then signals for the Michinoku driver. Like, holy shit. Right? Like, but seriously, Dan- this is good. Daniels counters it. Yeah. Off the ropes we go, and Daniels goes for a slam, but now Taka evades. Nails the Michinoku driver for the win. Great match, Quinn. Can I Quinn. just say the Michinoku driver is a great finishing Awesome move. finisher. It's one of the, like, like it might be one of the best finishing moves of the 90s. We should one day do a Royal Rankings of finishing moves because, Ooh, holy shit. I like, like that one. Michinoku driver is awesome, and it seems like it could legitimately hurt somebody if now, done, like, incorrectly. Now, I'm imagining he invented that, and that's why it's named after him? Oh, yeah. I think he's... I 
bet it's some weird Japanese thing in like the 60s or whatever, but like, yeah, but he probably popularized it. If you've never seen it, folks, the best I can describe it, it's like a, it's like a body slam reverse pile driver, essentially. Yeah, it's almost like a body slam, but you turn it into a pile driver at, like yes. the, at the slamming portion. Yeah. And it's a seated reverse. It's like a reverse pile driver, meaning the opponent's facing you. It's like belly yeah. to belly. And they're kind of, the way they land, they're like hooked into you for the pin. So, so it's yeah. like it does, it, it works both ways. I always like that finisher. High impact, quick, like yep. immediate pin after you've been high impacted. So yeah. it like makes sense as a move, too. Any finishers that end in a pin like that, I've always liked. Yeah, because cause it should, like, you should be able to pin them as soon as you nail the impact. Yep. It gives them less time to recover. Boom. You got it. Kevin Kelly asked what Honky's plan is for WrestleMania, and he really has nothing to say. He's like, well, I don't know. I'll do this or that. You don't go here or now or now. Is he even at WrestleMania no. 14? No. What's your plan? What's your motive? What are you going to do up there? Well, you know, I'm going to be singing, dancing, making a lot of personal friends, doing a lot of media work. Anything the World Wrestling Federation needs, all the superstars are coming out. Anyone who is everyone wants to be at WrestleMania, and I'll be there. Promo for the DX Suck It shirt and uh, DX hat. Did they really need ads for that, Joe, actually? Because isn't that, like, the most popular shirt ever with the Stone Cold shirt? Like, it's like... WWF shirt, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I I just mean the DX stuff. Yeah, the DX shirt didn't need an ad, honestly. But it's $25 each or both for $39.99. But I just got to say, Quinn, a $25 hat in 1998? I have to say this. Holy shit, that's expensive. This is the same company that charged, like, $120 for a denim jacket that had like a just the logo of Shawn Michaels on it or like Bret Hart or whatever or Undertaker was it those were yeah, the three guys I think, and maybe Razor I can't yeah. remember or Doink or something yeah. I'm not even kidding wait there was a Doink denim jacket there might have been let's not talk about well, that we though. might have to get that <laughs> uh, next up is a commercial for your shitty breath your breath is horrible so have winter fresh gum icy cool flavor icy cool breath that catchy like tune I still remember it yeah, I'll tell I, you that as soon as it hit it was like I got hit by the nostalgia it was like yeah. something that should have been on like an Instagram, you know, like one of those nostalgia Instagrams. I always follow classic those, VHS or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. I, like I go in the suggestions every day on Instagram because it's basically because of what I look at. It's like littered with like old commercials. All this and stuff like, is fun. Yeah, it is good. Uh, next up, when we have a post-apocalyptic basketball court, it's a setting for some jerk getting caught in a net. Yes, this is the uh, not going anywhere for a while. Grab a Snickers. That really turned into something I didn't think it was. going I know to be. it's like, another one where it looks like it's an anti-meth ad or something yeah, like again, that. Edgy, ironic. <laughs> that Snickers. Like, terrible. One eight hundred collect now with Newman because I guess that's what you do if you're Wayne Knight in nineteen ninety eight, right? <laughs> the nineties. I, I remember this commercial yeah, too. too. He's like he looks more like Jurassic Park Newman in this one because he has the like, yes. cool, like he has like the drink, the tropical drink. Yeah, he's not Mailman Newman. Yeah, he's, he's Jurassic Park Newman. He's definitely Jurassic Park Newman, which are both equally evil. But like, and he's not even Third Rock Newman either. That's that's Face Turn Newman. Remember Third he's, Rock? He, he's a good guy in that. Yeah, show. he's good in that. He's a cop, not a he's, mailman. He's like the 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 like guy who doesn't think much of himself, but he really. Yeah. He loves uh the, what's her face the girl I remember that her name yeah. missy pile or whatever yeah, her name is a that, dewey pile is what that, is that her name missy hyatt i don't know yeah. <laughs> anyway it's time for the slam of the week brought to us by bop it i loved bop it did you ever bop it i did um great although maybe i borrowed it maybe i bought it toy. mini or whatever i don't remember the original bop it classic it is good anyway it's from Warzone. last tuesday it says on the graphics here so i guess they're openly acknowledging the taping date for this rather than the air date because remember they used to tape the following week's Raw on the Tuesday after the live one back oh, then. did they? I yeah. did not know that. Either that or it aired on a Tuesday for some reason. But uh, huh. an- anyway, what was going on here is a gaggle of officials, including Tony Gurria, Sergeant Slaughter, and Dave Hebner, are trying to break up this tizzy here between Marrow and Sable and Goldust and Luna. Sable kicks Luna's ass, of course, as JR yells. It's 1998. Yeah. Uh, and we're back now to 
11 Alive. As Jerry Lawler is in the ring to promote that mixed tag. Remember King? Yeah, remember King? Pretty all good. The, all the stars here on 11 Alive. <laughs> yeah, <really>. King. Yeah. <laughs> he brings out Goldust and Luna, whose music I know you hated, Quinn, you had mentioned. Uh, it's just as bad as like the demolition. It's like fucking horrible. It's like the right to censor mix with the demolition <laughs> yeah, heel theme. It's a, it's a middle ground. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Goldust is wearing a baseball cap with fake hair and a veil that covers his face, and he has a sable tank top on. Yes, he's trying to be sable. He's got like. Can, can I can I remark about the, yeah, the hat, please? How ironic it is that Goldust wearing the hat in the presence of Jerry Lawler, who was did the thing with the warrior with the hat. Oh, he doesn't like baseball caps. Right. That's right. I, I, that was like the first thing I thought of when I saw the, the hat. Like I was like, oh man, remember the whole Ultimate yeah. Warrior Jerry Lawler? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Baseball caps not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, Luna is dressed like 1998 Luna. That's the best I can describe it. She's yeah. dressed like the Luna, dressed in 98, you know, right. very little clothing, but bright it's Luna. And colorful. Bright and colorful. Yeah. A little odd. She tells Goldust to take that ridiculous hat off, which is funny. Yeah. Take that ridiculous hat off. So he does, and he has makeup smeared all over him, which is to make fun of what they did to Sable recently, if you recall. I have to say, Luna sounds like Hawk, like the sour and gory <laughs> edition like from SummerSlam or whatever that is. Take that ridiculous hat yeah. off. That's... We're going to make him sour <laughs> and gory. Sable. Yeah. Luna says she's going to give Sable the lesson of her life. Whew, where to begin with the lessons here? Let's see. Wrestling, acting, <laughs> speaking, dancing, mahjong. Luna is what the realest comment ever here, Quinn. All my life, I've been passed over by blonde bimbos with boob jobs like yourself. Can I ask you a serious question? Yeah. Luna is blonde. Does she have a boob job? Yes. <laughs> what? What? What is that comment? I don't know, but do you like yeah. my Luna impression? Yeah, You're trying it's pretty it out. good. It's Thank so, you very much. Solid. Trying it. And then she flatly says, I hate you. <laughs> Which is, I just like how blunt that is. I'm going to be honest with she you. She hates her. You don't hear that much and in soon wrestling. she would be a face with um, Giant Silva and all them. What did he say when they asked him to wrestle? <laughs> Thank you. King Go- Silva. Yeah, King Silva. Don't bring that up. Yeah. Goldust chimes in to threaten Marrow, including, I'll get you from behind. Big pop for that yeah, one. You know what he the, meant, right? The whole crowd got in on that <laughs> they joke. Did. Like the early people to show up or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I like, though, Quinn, I have to say about this promo, is it's shot within the ring and a very close-up of Luna and Goldust while they're looking directly at the camera. Yeah. Instead of, like, this generic, like, talking to no one thing, the way they film promos in the ring now, oh, yeah. where they're just, like, looking all around, like, you know, I don't like you, Roman Reigns. And right, yeah. Right at the camera, close-up. It feels more intimate that way. Luna threatens to eat half of Sable's face for lunch, which I wouldn't do because plastic isn't really digestible. I'm just saying there. Another promo for WrestleMania focusing on Tyson, Austin, and Michaels, and I have a side story for you guys. I seem to remember, and tell me what you think, Quinn, I haven't ever asked you this, a lot of, like, non-fans at the time, like, maybe your friend's parents or just general, like, adults or non-fans, were thinking that it was Mike Tyson fighting Stone Cold at WrestleMania. Do you remember that happening? Um, I knew people that thought that. Remember that being slightly mentioned on the bus or something, some kids who just weren't as up on wrestling, like, hearing, like, oh, is he's, uh... Is Mike Tyson? I saw on the news, or yeah, my parents told me Stone about Cold. it, or something. Right. I mean, I can see why that was confusing too, because they had that big brouhaha fighting Correct. each other, so it might appear to the common 
person that just not even I'm not even making fun of. Them. I'm just no, somebody no, no. that just doesn't watch and just right. literally heard about it on ESPN Sports Center yeah, or like Scott or somebody. Ross Abrams told them about it on <laughs> Seven News or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, they might think that that's what's happening. And I bet WWF had no problem with people thinking that. No, you know what I mean. Yeah. Also, we're told that this is the first ever X-rated WrestleMania. What does that mean? Well, there's two issues here, Quinn. Even though they said that a lot, if you look at the logo, there's a very, very, very small little D right before the big X on the WrestleMania logo. <sighs> DX. Second of all, it says on the logo, rated, R-A-I-D-E-D, not rated. So what they were doing is they were saying it ambiguously. Like, it's the first ever X-rated WrestleMania on the fucking poster and the logo and all that DX rated and they're correct. This is the first time like DX was at ra- WrestleMania. They rated. Yes. <sighs> That's so stupid. I, I know because all of my friends and all of us were like X rated. And then I would, I was the only one that noticed that it said rated with a D and that it said a D. There was a D in front of the X. Look I'm, at the graphic now. I'm looking it up right this second. Good. I want you to look at the WrestleMania 14 graphic and I will tell you for sure that there's a very tiny lowercase I D. Need, I need to know this actually. Hold on. That's what I'm here for. Oh, yeah. DX. Rated R D X R A I D E D. What the fuck? All they kept saying though was X rated WrestleMania. X rated WrestleMania. The first ever X rated WrestleMania. Because it's 1998, we get a commercial for the Jerry Springer Too Hot for TV VHS cassette. Now, honestly, Quinn, if you watch this and throw on Howard Stern while putting up your Cartman poster and looking at the booklet for your Offspring Americana album while drinking a Surge, you've pretty much captured the essence of 1998 adolescence. This whole period of time with all of this, 1998, I, I have very mean? fond memories. Oh, me too. I mean, to be a teenager or a preteen in I mean, 98. Especially like Howard Stern and Beetlejuice. And South and Park. South Park and Jerry. I would even, did you watch Jerry Springer when you got home from school? I watched it occasionally. I didn't make that point to, I wasn't but I like, did watch it. It wasn't like regular viewing for me, but no. I would definitely like see it. I would say as regular as once a week, because if you yeah, flip the maybe. channels, it was on. It was hot back then, yeah, obviously. It was, it was on a bunch of times during the yeah. day, too. Like, it was so common. Did you think it was real? Honestly, um, like not not just being like a cynical person. Like back then, when you were a kid, because it looks like a talk show. Probably when I in yeah, ninety eight, I probably still did, but not for long. It well, wasn't, eventually, I realized that honestly, this was staged. I think I didn't know it was staged until that MTV incident when they had to admit it or something. Yeah, something like that. I know. What yeah. You mean. But yeah, that's 90s right there. The Jerry Springer Too Hot for TV VHS cassette. Uh, Next up, Carl Winslow would like you to dial 10321 to save some money on your calls to Cousin Prescott and Nambia or whoever else uses this shit for this stuff. By the way, it was not Harriet. I I need to point that out. Yeah, his wife in this commercial is not Harriet. Now, do you think this version of Carl Winslow or Reginald Van Johnson or whatever whatever, shot a kid? Do you think that he... You know, technically, as a cop, and he got home early to cook dinner. Yeah, maybe he's off today. Yeah, and he's cooking but he's dinner. definitely a cop. He's right? always a cop. He can't not be I, a cop. I wonder what is the ratio like that actor has, has he not <laughs> been a cop? Yeah, how many something? times has he not played a cop? Is more important, right? right? It's like it's, it's probably like not a lot. <laughs> no, it's probably not. Uh, we're back here with the new Midnight Express and Jim Cornette. Yeah, this is a team people cared about. I hate all of I this. I know, me yeah. too. Cole calls Kelly Double K, which shut up never needs to happen. <laughs> that is just oh Double K. Yes, Hi, Double K. Oh, you're right. What's he going to call him? MC? Maybe. Mick 
I just hate this. I hate this McColl team here (laughs) because they sound almost identical. Like, we got some great action here for you, Michael Cole. Oh, you're certainly right. It's the same thing. You might as well have Hulk Hogan now. Identical! (laughs) Yeah, really? (laughs) Right next to them. We show clips of the new Midnight's and Cornette in his fat pants. From last week, beating up the Rock and Roll Express. Oh, the thing sucks uh, so bad. And now the Rock and Rolls make their way down with the Rockers music. That was that pissed me off they when they used to do that. Like they're seventy three years old, Joe. <laughs> they look. Aren't so they seventy three years old now? Not even, but they always looked it. Are you going to tell me that to this right this second? They're only somehow like fifty something, maybe like sixty something. Holy shit! How is that even possible? What happened to Morton and Gibson between like nineteen eighty nine and nineteen ninety four? Because they went from being the 80s version to always old. Well, there's a version of them where they look like they're the Eagles in the early 90s when they when they did Hell Freezes Over. Like, there's this, like, middle period. Like, Wait, which eagle? Like, Timothy B. Schmidt, perhaps? Yes. Or, Love will keep us alive. Or even when Don Henley had the short hair. I don't like him with but, the short hair. But in the early 90s, Don Henley. So I don't this, like that version of him. There's this time period where the, where the Rock and Roll Express looks like that, but it lasts a really short time. <laughs> and then they hit, they just go into the old geezer's home or they something. Like Don Imus. Yeah, I, I don't know how it happens, but their middle age only lasted four years. You Rock and Roll Express are yeah. real jerks. Quack, yeah. quack. Anyway, Jack Doan is the ref for this fucking time capsule of a match here. And thankfully, Bart Gunquin would move on to bigger and better things like punching JBL. Good! <laughs> he sucks! I know. Gibson and Bart start and the crowd does not care at all. Why is this even a thing? I think uh, Vince Russo was just kind of sticking it to Jim Cornette. That's what Russo was says. Was this him proving his point? It was like, okay, yeah. we'll give you what you want, Jim Cornette. But as shitty as possible. But it's not like they tried to make it good either, you know? Uh, Cornette's out there personally. But Quinn, here's the thing, right? It's 1998, and you see the commercials airing, and the general tone. It wasn't just WWF. No one cared about old-timey type shit Jim anymore. Jim Cornette, this isn't 1988. Yeah, no, whatever you said. Kentucky or yeah. wherever you're from. Tennessee or Kentucky, wherever you come from. Morton in with a hard karana to no reaction. Rock and rolls dominate for a while until bodacious Bart gouges the eyes. And you know you suck when Kevin Kelly is throwing shade. He's like, who thought of these names? Yeah, he does make fun of it. Now, isn't there a point in this match, can I ask, is where one of them plays Ricky Morton and it's actually Ricky Morton? Yeah, Ricky Morton plays Ricky Morton Ricky in a little Morton while. Ricky Morton plays Ricky Morton. Yeah, of course he does. And then something happens where he tags and like nobody gives a shit. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, we go to commercial, though, first, Quinn, where it's the same one. Starburst, Bloody War, Stridex, M&Ms, all that yeah. shit. We're back, and Bob Holly works at Chinlock before the Midnight's double team, and the announcers have to act like any of this matters. Yeah, typical 80s match here. 1998! <laughs> <laughs> they build up to an alleged hot tag, and I swear... Like you said, there's legitimately no change right. in the crowd volume when Gibson finally so, tags yeah, in. So, yeah, like literally Ricky Morton does the Ricky Morton. Yeah. Thing. He's dying and yep. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> he makes the tag and it's just like, like you could hear a pin drop. Yeah. And here's the tag now. Bodacious Bart into the ring. Morton gets to Gibson and here we go. Boy, Gibson comes flying into the ring. Robert Gibson hammering away now. What has it come to when they, they, <laughs> like, like they do their bit? Because it's WWF. Literally, nobody reacts. That's not what they were conditioned to seeing. No one wanted to see that. You got Stone Cold. Yeah. And The Rock. And like outrageous well, outlandish characters. tags and yeah, people seem to care. People cared about them. Anyway. Nobody knows who Ricky Morton is. He's good. like somebody's grandfather. 
Is he the salt guy? Morton Salt? Morgan gets- probably looks like a bunch of salt dumped on his face. Morgan gets sucked sent- the moisture out. He gets sent outside and the Midnight's finish Gor- Gibson with the rocket launcher. Crowd claps because it's over. <laughs> then the Midnight's beat down the rock and rolls, but the headbangers make the save. They get a bigger pop on the yeah. save than the Ricky Morton big hot tag there. And Cole reminds us that the headbangers won the NWA world tag titles from the Who rock and rolls cares? a few weeks ago. Like I said, I like that Vince Russo knew this would suck and he just did it anyway. Bro. WrestleMania 14 promo now focusing on the awesome Undertaker Kane feud. Yeah, excellent. Stuff. Excellent. Welcome back now with Doc. It's, <laughs> it's our WrestleMania report. But he's like fully downgraded now to like a green screen, no chin. No chin and he's room. Like all subdued. There's no like, well, no, there's not. Oh, we got King Mabel. Like none of that no. shit. Like he's just like, hi, it's WrestleMania 14's coming up, well, kids. Hi, like, kids. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Welcome to your WrestleMania report. I'm handsome Doc Hendricks. He says, Quinn, it's our first ever X-rated WrestleMania. It's not. It's uh, all sad. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's so sad it how shitty Doc is here. It is. At least, though, Quinn, he's dressed more sensibly than usual. He's got, like, a black blazer over a Mr. Furley shirt or something. <laughs> he throws to a Jennifer Flowers promo where she basically says that she would have sex with Shawn Michaels, Steve Austin, and Undertaker. Okay, how, first of all, how old even is she? <laughs> Second of all, what the hell? Yeah, what, Third of all, is her name really spelled with a G? Yeah, Jennifer Flowers with a G. Hey, is that fake? That doesn't seem like probably because isn't Jennifer spelled with a J? Generally, is that, that spelled with a G also? Is that some kind of euphemism? Like her whole stick is that she had sex with Bill Clinton or whatever. Right? That's her shtick. Yes, that's that's uh, her character. Uh, I don't know what euphemism would it be. Vagin, Jennifer, Jin. I just I don't get it. That cannot be her born name. There's I don't think it's her what? born name. No, an Undertaker. I can make you rise from the dead. Get the hell out of here. Doc's response to this promo. Well, <laughs> just like just the subdued version. Yeah. Well. well, he promotes the main event, though, and Tyson's alignment with DX. That's true. And we get clips of Austin getting up and Vince's shit two weeks ago, accusing the WWF <laughs> of being against him. However, last week, Kevin Kelly pointedly asked Vince if he wanted Vince to be the champion or he wanted Austin to be the champion, to which Vince famously replied, oh, hell no. Which is kind of funny, actually. Yeah. And I got to say, Quinn, this at the time was a really good, really intriguing angle. And it's probably the first of its kind. Way before this type of authority figure and the man fighting the machine was played out. Like, this actually right. mattered in 98. Now, I will say this. My personal memory of this shit yeah. is that I didn't really understand the significance of, like, why they were talking to Vince about this shit. Well, they like, say he's the owner now, though. Right, they, they do. do. But as a kid, I just didn't click with me that there was going to be some kind of feud. So, like, right, okay. it kind of crept up on me the night after the, the WrestleMania. Got it. Like, I remember just thinking, who gives a shit what Vince right, right, right. It's like, it's like, he's the owner, but, like, he... Well, actually, also in my kid brain, I was like, well, he's not the president, like, Gorilla Monsoon, so, right. like, what does it matter? <laughs> like, you know what I Gorilla. mean? Like, I, for some reason, I just figured the president had more authority for some reason. Well, he doesn't. Yeah. Uh, Doc Hammer's at home and now promotes the Undertaker Kane match. We see a replay of Kane attacking the Phoenix Suns gorilla because <laughs> By the way, it's ninety eight. That's like the precursor to the 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 Pete Rose, Pete Rose thing yeah. the next year, right? Yeah, and then he went after Sable. Where to Sable? <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, Quinn, I love how Russo 
would just throw unrelated people into the same oh, segments yeah. instead of like sectioning everyone well, off like it you, is now. If you remember the go home to WrestleMania 13 the previous year before that yeah. was like all everyone was interjecting each other like Brett and Stone Cold and Russo was Sid. excellent at that. He would have people from different tiers within the card. Yeah. Like main eventers, jobbers, mid cards. He would layer on yes. different feuds into other feuds. Instead of everything just being clearly warded off. Why was Sable even involved in this part? Was she That's just cutting thing. a promo on Luna or something Maybe this happened? Maybe. That's yeah. why it's great is something like that could happen. However, before he can take her anywhere, uh, the lights go out and now Undertaker is on top of the Titantron yelling at his little brother. You know, the whole darkness, damnation, die, die, die. And yeah. then a, uh, a fake cane, not that one, not the fake cane, but a fake cane is on fire in a standing casket. Well, okay, I think it's important to note because one, 1998. one thing here, Joe. Remember when the Undertaker got killed by Yokozuna or whatever? Of course I do. Remember how you kept harping on how he acquired thunder power? Yeah, he got he, it in 94. He used the power here, he on, that, it here. on that casket. It's rare, but you're right, he used it here. I couldn't believe it when I watched it because I was just thinking like, Holy shit, they like followed through. Like, he really does have he that magic a, power. Yeah, but he only, only got it in 94. He didn't right. have it before that. Anyway, Doc brings up the new European champion, Triple Horse. Nobody cares about it. That's like why it's on the tail end of this yeah. like, thing. They talk about all the important shit. Yeah, right, right. And then, like, Triple H. You see, last week on the Warzone, Quinn, Triple Ass goaded the injured Owen Hart into a match for the title. And even with the cast on his leg and wearing a windbreaker suit, Owen went for the match. He looks like a complete dork in the swishy suit. <laughs> he does. I'm sorry, like, Owen. I'm surprised he isn't wearing glasses. I love you, Owen. Yeah, I know. He doesn't look good with it. Let's yeah. be honest here. Of course, because 1998, China appears, takes a swing at Owen's leg with a baseball. I- I always that. thought that looked really good, by the way, it for some good. reason. Wouldn't I don't know hurt. why. Yep. Yeah. The force at which she yep. hit his like cast thing, it looked great. Check out ball bat! And Owen submits to a shin pull by Triple H. It's just his legs hurt. I think yeah. that's all you're supposed to get out of it. Uh, new European champion, Triple Dump. Doc. Well, there you have it. Like, it's like, <laughs> that's like literally what yeah. it says. <laughs> well, there you have it. This would, of course, Quinn lead to Sergeant Slaughter looking like an idiot at WrestleMania. And baby powder we in all know face whatever, yeah. yep. Now we recap The Rock and Shamrock, which uh, mainly consisted this whole feud of The Rock hitting Shamrock with a chair as hard as he could all the time. Yeah. That's like what this feud was. Shamrock's like, hit me. <laughs> yeah. Hit me, brah. It also occurs to me that the shitty WWE writers of today would team them up and just name them Shamrock because they're <laughs> that uncreative. Yeah, stop! (laughs) Show miss. Doc throws us back to the most vanilla of announced teams here as Savio Vega stomps his way out, Quinn. (sighs) We go to commercial again for uh, more Jerry Springer, more Carl Winslow, more Sprite. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Oh, yeah, and watch Raw tomorrow. Uh, We're back in Savio's opponent, Jose Estrada Jr. Yes, the the 1982 Jose Estrada's son. His son. Yes, Quinn, it is Bariqua versus Bariqua. More like cargo pants versus cargo pants. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, and then, of course, the other two Bariquas come out to keep the peace, to no avail, of course. The worst faction fuses each other on 11 Alive. Thrilling. I know. What is this match? Yeah. Estrada dominates for a bit, but Savio comes back with a shoulder block and a hip toss, kickoff by Estrada, and drop kick. Crowd sounds like they're at the library <laughs> studying on Encarta. Yeah. Poor sunset flip reversal sequence leads to an eventual backslide by Estrada for two. Savio is able to toss him outside, and Jesus Castillo comes over to check on his Bariqua buddy. Can we just finish this? Yeah, it'd be nice, wouldn't it's it? It's also hot in here. <laughs> like, can we get on with it? Back in, and Estrada lands a drop toe hold into a front face lock, but Savio is up with a hammer lock, reversed by Estrada, off the ropes, but Estrada ducks Savio's spinning heel kick and goes outside. Now the hairy guy comes over and gets mad at Jesus. <laughs> 
Moose. You know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, that, I don't fucking care I about his name. Everyone knows who you're talking about. Yeah, the guy Miguel who Perez Jr. Seem to wear a shirt over yeah. his hair every time. He's very hairy. Estrada <laughs> holds the ropes for Savio, but Small packages him immediately for a two. Big chops by Estrada, as Cole says that all four of these guys are martial arts experts. What was that? I like, have no I'm, idea. Just because Savio does the Savio kick like or whatever. Like one kick that yeah. he does. Oh, they all know martial arts! Yeah, like, what is what, that? What is he talking about? The other Dos was here running, and it's a double DQ. Even Cole is like so nonchalant. He's like, yeah, double DQ in this one. Folks, don't forget yeah. to watch Raw this yeah, week. Don't, don't, who gives a shit about that? Yeah, double disqualification in this one. Folks, don't forget Raw this week. Monday Night USA Network. And that's it, Quinn. There it is. I'll tell you what. I will be fair to the show. The Taka versus Christopher Daniels match is actually good. It's okay. Uh, Basically, this is a commercial for WrestleMania. And you know what? Whatever promo they did, mainly Tyson, it worked. WrestleMania 14 was a huge success, and people bought it. But as far as WWF 11 Alive is concerned, no. The crowd was not alive. (laughs) 11 Alive was clearly, like, literally an infomercial for WrestleMania 11 or 14 or whatever. Mike Levy from Amazing Discoveries come out with a sweater on and that British guy, you know what I mean? I'm surprised they just didn't have Barry Dodinsky (laughs) tell you to order this pay-per-view for Oof. 40 minutes or whatever. But I'll tell you what, Quinn, one of our favorite things to do is review obscure or rare WWF programming. You know, well, I mean, that's why I, we had to do this it's, one. I, it's pretty liberal to consider this WWE programming as it much is. as an advertisement. But I got to say shout out and a thank you to Richard Land for not only making us do this, but providing us with the video cassette for yeah, it. So, well, of course, I mean, we always I had trouble playing this cassette. By the you way. did. Yeah. Quinn, it actually, actually like made me late to the recording today. Yeah, the studio. I mean, you got fined for that, didn't yeah. you? You get a fine if you're Lord later Alfred, out here. Yeah. Yep. But folks, thanks so much for hanging in with us here as we have looked live here for episode number 131. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at OVP Podcast. Email us or join the group. And if you want to donate and support the show, you can do that on Patreon.com slash OVP Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us for our season 14 premiere. We will be back next week. It'll be the Royal Flush. We'll be reviewing something. More of your questions. Until then, I'm Joe Murata. That's my Quinn. Happy Memorial Day. We will see you next week. See ya. We set out to create the first politically correct soft drink. Made from dolphin safe waters with no beans harmed in the curding process. Blending tofu, soy milk, and carbonation, our beverage restores the ozone layer, promotes world peace, and tastes like 100% natural. Will you stop?